Podcast. Another week, another podcast with your podcasters, Matt, John, Steve. Um, Steve. <clears throat> Steve. Uh, I don't know which way I want to go this week. I just, you know, well, how about you say it in options. such a way that you say it in your normal voice and then they can recognize you when you say things? So say, say your name. Really? You with logic at the beginning here. That's sad. If all right, let's John start all over, logic. Matt. No, try, I'm try not it. starting oh. over. Right. Not, nope, nope, nah, nope. But I'm destroying he, my he facade. Was, he was far too sensible. I just—it's called a face. It confused me. <laughs> <laughs> um, first, I want to give a, a promo to. Uh, by the time this goes up, a week from today, as you are listening, the next Wasty show for February will be happening at the Way Station on February 19th. They will be going on at 10 p.m. They're doing. Last I checked, an anti-Valentine's Day show, like an anti-love show. So all the singles go there and cry. <laughs> Well, no, it's just non-love songs, like songs oh. about so like oh, love okay. hurts. They're gonna do a bunch of December songs. You know, they're gonna get a bunch of singles showing up though. No, because it's not on Valentine's Day. Oh, it's it, not on. Okay, it's on the nineteenth. Love well, just... stinks. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Jay Giles Band. They're gonna play that at least, right? No. I was thinking more Adam Sandler. I'm just opening well, the possibility. He, that's a Jay Giles Band song that. Yeah, he but covered. I was doing the, the the Adam Sandler version from the movie The Wedding Singer, which we should talk about <clears> sometime because I actually quite like that movie. Um, it's actually based on Let's a book, which it. I didn't know. Um, next thing I want to do is just promote my latest autographs interview. If you're listening to this, this past Tuesday was the release of my interview with Shy Boy, former frontman for Hypnogaja and current solo DJ, producer, and singer-songwriter. Um, we talk about his unique way of covering music, his love of mashups, his DJ work, his love of... Donna Summer, actually. Um, his Forget about one-man bands. You tend to interview one-man everything. <laughs> he, um, he still works with a bunch of members of Hypnogaja on his solo work, though. He just put out a brand new EP called Daisy Pusher. It's a house EP, and it was actually very good. Um, a little different from his other solo works. And so, yeah, check that out. It's on the site under Crash Chords Autographs. I don't listen to house. I only listen to apartment. It's a very, very unknown subject. I want to quote Steve from last week and get really meta. If I made that joke, you would have given me the same face. <laughs> uh, he's right, you know. <laughs> and then finally, I just want to give a shout out to one of our newest fans who's been reaching out to me, Insane Ian, a parody artist and nerdcore rapper. Um, he's worked with Shafer the Dark Lord and a bunch of others. Um, he's been giving me commentary on some of the latest stuff he's been listening to. He discovered us through the folks at the Epic Podcast. I'm hoping to possibly reach out to him for an interview later this year. Um, so yeah, that's it. Any other business up front you guys want to share? Anything exciting happening this week? Business. Hmm. You love business. Well, that's what this is. I was trying to go for a Samuel Arrow, a.k.a. uh, whatchamacallit? Sam the Eagle? Sam the Eagle, yes. Specifically from uh, Treasure Island as he played Samuel Arrow, the first officer there. Um, Sam the Eagle. Oh no, actually no, I was going the other way. I was going um, up at Christmas Carol in which he was uh, the the, uh, master of... Ebenezer Scrooge, back in his youth. Oh, that's right. Yes. I haven't watched that business. movie in a while. You'll love business. business. <laughs> that's true. I haven't it's watched that It's the American way, uh, or um, it's the British way. 
Oh, those movies. Um. <laughs> but no, to answer your question, I have no business at all. No. Okay, great. Let's get into our pick for this week then, which was my choice. It's um, a band named Guster. I've been a fan of them since the late 90s. I got into them. Their, my f- the first Mike's first experience with them was their record, Lost and Gone Forever. May which- I interrupt? It's, it, it's called Guster? Yeah. It's a great name. Just a great, solid band name. Yeah. It's, it's, got, it's got a punch to it. It kind of reminds me of the word gumption. <laughs> it's Gusto. Say, ah, love it. A gust of wind. See, everything's forceful. Yeah, I don't remember. And yet it's a very sleepy album. I think I discovered Gusto through um, a friend of mine in high school named Mike Gortzman. He's now a management for musicians. Management. He runs a management company for musicians. But I believe he introduced me to their this record, which is Lost and Gone Forever, which features Fa Fa, the Elevator song, which was their first big top forty hit, and they had had albums before that. Um, and then also Barrel of a Gun, which I played for Steve earlier, which are two of my favorite songs by them. Their records after that were also very good, but those two songs stick out the most for me. It's one of those, the first record I found I really love. I like their other stuff, but that's still my favorite. Well, they have a long career. They go back to 1991, correct? And yes. that's, it's, I mean, it definitely shows on this album that they've kind of honed their craft in a way, but it, it seems like it's gone through many different movements based on what you showed me from uh, Barrel of a Gun. You know, you can kind of detect that 90s alt sound back then, but mm-hmm. as we move into this album, it, it seems to have transitioned perfectly in, into the modern era. This is definitely, I'd say, after a long time, this album is probably most immersed into modern alt. Yeah, they were making. They've been making a transition. I've been listening to the last their last record as well a lot, and there's definitely a transition period. But um, but yeah. So as you said, they formed in 1991. <laughs> They're from Boston, Massachusetts. Um, they they mostly all of the original members. I believe only one member has changed. Um, they met in college, I think. Yes, at Tufts and University. My my first experience with them live was actually only very recently. I believe it was last summer or the summer before. I went to a concert with Bare Naked Ladies, them, and Ben Folds. And what was an interesting thing about those bands is every time one band before one band got on stage, another band did a little mini concert in the crowd by the merch booth, which I thought was very cool. They did like a stripped down acoustic set, and Guster's stripped down acoustic set was awesome. It was just the three of them. They just no percussion, just the rest of the instruments, and it was very intimate. It was a lot of fun. And that was a while ago. Was that before the release of this album? Correct. Okay. But you did hear things from uh, Benfold 5's recent released album. Correct. Sound of as well as Bare Naked Ladies. Right. And we reviewed Benfold back in episode 15 and Bare Naked Ladies back in episode 53. So it's just kind of funny to see, see you got the full full rounded effect there. At the same time, I, I think based on, based on this album, I feel like I would enjoy this band at a concert most perhaps yeah, they were a lot of fun. maybe even even amongst those three and i love ben folds but i don't know there's something about this which is very rousing you know ben folds has that piano rock feel and this is just straight up rock in many ways um at the same time you know alt can go one or two ways you can go this like completely bizarre offhand route where you're trying to sort of do something borderline experimental without necessarily being experimental otherwise you would be labeled experimental or you would Go a little bit, you know, a little bit mellower. Uh, you know, hearkening perhaps back to Shoegaze, which I talked at length back in the uh, back in the painful review by Yola Tango. Um, and, and there are certain things about at least this first track here, Long Night. Well, I haven't even said the album that. name, which is Evermotion. Oh, you did actually say the ever- album name. I think you did. No, Maybe you did. You did. I did not. You cut me off. Damn. I had nothing to add until so the, this point. So the new, <laughs> the new album is called Good Evermotion. It came out about a month ago, and I've been saving it because I'm a fan of Guster. And after hearing the first track, I went, oh, this is not something I've really heard a lot of the, the, them do a lot before. Let me save this for the podcast. And so okay. I did. So the first track is Long Night, which starts the album with a very nice kind of sleepy, slow feeling, kind of easing you into this dreamlike, 
fluffy cloud state. Sure. No, I, I agree with all of that, actually, especially considering I was driving to this album the first time I heard it. So, you know, you're on the road, you're moving, things are in motion, you figure, you know, is something going to pump you up or, or, or lull you to sleep in the middle of the road, which is not always the best thing. Um, but the first thing I, 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 I felt when I listened to this first track was that it was kind of sleepy, it's kind of slow, it is kind of meandering, and, you know, if you interpret your car as a cloud, just drifting through... The buildings on the side, then yeah, I kind of felt like I was in my own music video for a while, which <laughs> is not a bad thing. It's just, you know, eyes on the road. <laughs> well, uh, certain aspects, that. <laughs> uh, especially that drawn out, almost echoey guitar mm-hmm. uh, strumming the chimes, the light little chimes mm-hmm. uh, thrown on top of that. And then the simple is not the most accurate term, but the, the steady percussion of the drums, very indicative of just a sleep jam. A sleep a, jam. A sleep jam. It, I like it, that. it has a little bit of jamming elements, though obviously you could tell it, it is very uh, thought out, very methodical about it. But it's, it's uh, what was it, Burnt Jam from Weezer? Yeah. That has the same sort of a feel to this song. It, it's got a very much a, instead of chimes, they got the do-do-do-do from Weezer. But it's, it's, it's not really breaking anything out it's it's gonna try to lull you into the album itself and this is where i start getting my first major issue with what's going on here and one of really the few major issues i have with this album this song for all of its quality and i do enjoy the song itself it doesn't really seem to culminate in anything because even when you get into the separate parts where you have uh, a little bit of exposition between the verses i felt like some of that was kind of unnecessary the, the, the change-ups, the, the little bit of addition with strings uh, later on, these things don't really come to fruition in any way for me. Well, not to... I have sort of an interesting segue based on what you just mentioned. Uh, you said it doesn't feel like it culminates to anything. Well, this is kind of interesting, uh, considering the context under which I under which I listened to this uh, the first time again in the car. I'm, I'm experiencing it sort of at a glance the first time. I'm not really analyzing it for the first time. Of course, I had multiple listens afterwards, but... But it's funny because I did interpret. I, I felt the same thing. Of course, these first, this track, maybe even the next track. Not to hint uh, at things in terms of arc, album arc, uh, this early on. But I was quite satisfied with the fact that this was a quieter intro, and I do feel that later in this album, I wouldn't define the entire album, for instance, as, as sleepy. Perhaps it has a little bit of that vibe, but it, you know, it steps it up a little bit. It does have have grooves that tend to overtake here and there, later points in the album. So I felt that if I had a choice between one or two ways of building an album, say between an album that is sleepy to start and then builds up and gives you more substance later as you go, I'd rather take that than, for instance, the inverse, and this is going to come up later, a case of an album that gives you everything at once, your grand epic first track, which by all intents and purposes does culminate, and then the rest of the album is sort of eh, a fizzle, or rather doesn't quite live up to the expectation that you were given in the first place. You know, that's sort of putting all your all your cards on the table. I think this was tastefully done. I, I think as far as a first track is concerned, I'd rather go in not expecting as much. Well, and I, I, I agree with that. I wouldn't want to just, you know, have some sort of grand opus to begin an album and then be let down later on. Sure. But in this case, it's... It's not doing for me what I really needed a first track to do. 
It's not creating a character. It's not creating a setting to work with here. I disagree. It's just There's really, a setting there. Uh, yeah, I think set, I think you hit now. it on it's, with setting. I, I agree, no character, but setting is all over the place here. I think we kind of defined it in in, in some but, sense. But the setting, and I know what you're gonna say, sleepy time more sleepy or time dreamlike, <laughs> but that is not very concrete. It's it's so open and so just non-expressive of an idea that I just can't latch on to. All right, then let's get more specific. Of course, well, what is creating this time? What does this mean? Oh, it's a sleepy album. It's a sleepy song. No. It, the specific things that they're using here in the beginning here, first of all, you did mention the, the fact that the opening, you know, has these sort of just plain chimes, and then it starts combining with this underlying bass groove that's a lot smoother. But once we enter the verse, it's really just built off of three chords for the most part, and those three chords tend to only really cycle, like, toward the end of the of the overall phrase. And then it's colored very, very lightly by these distant, almost like post-rock type guitar twangs that just color it, you know, in varying places just to kind of like enrich it. And I think that's what, what makes it feel very airy to me uh, because it seemed like there's a lot of reverb attached to those twangs. On top of that, uh, the main riff on, on, on the, the keyboard, which is a kind of also sounds sort of chimey in itself, it's pretty simple, but I think it, it'll, stick in, it'll stick in your head. I mean, it's really simple. You avoided using that word earlier on, but, you know, it really is pretty simple, but sometimes simple works. I don't think... I, I think what I like about this track, um, and perhaps some of this is aided by the fact that the entire main verse is just in Mixolydian, so there is something there that is... You know, it's not a major jam. You can clearly sense that. It's not like this, this, this vapid jam in major like you might hear from say like what we encountered in like jam rock straight up jam rock like you know a lot of fish tracks will just jam in major no it's it's, it's interesting it's got some chordal motion here but i think this is the track that defines sometimes simple works sometimes sometimes there's, there's really no point in looking beyond that it has a lot of breadth to it well for me i think i want to clarify something i said earlier i said that this track intrigued me when i gave it a listen before i picked the album because it was different from what they've done before. That's not 100% true. They've done soft things before. I mean, Fa 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 is a soft song. But what I think was different about this is this kind of dream state that you can almost fall into was new to me for Guster. Now, I will admit there are a couple albums. There, I believe, is at least one album in the middle I didn't hear. So it could have been on there. But what I really like about this track is... After the fact, especially having heard the second song, I feel like the reason it doesn't culminate, John, like you were saying, is because it's meant to lead into the next track. And I think, I'm not done, I think that it's a strength for me that it leads into the next track. Um, that said also, I get what you mean as far as there's no real big moment in the song, but the little moments are what I like. To take a thing from Steve, like there's a, a nice sweet little swell after the choruses with the strings that I really like. I think it gives it this momentum that's this kind of slow moving through the dream state. It's not, per, it's not, again, very exciting, but I still found something to latch onto in those small moments. Well, let's look at another thing in the choruses, for instance. Remember I started to say uh, that it has breadth. Well, it does seem like the choruses expand us a little bit. A, a little bit. It's, it's still very in much a, a chill kind of way, but the melodies take an interesting tone in its own, simple, just gliding along sense. It's more punctuated with... Uh, by just going back and forth between the two notes, just sort of like FG, 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 FG. I believe that's uh, down in the verse that goes, How many times I wished for change, gave, it, gave up, gave in, and called it fate. Repeating all the same mistakes, wasn't ready for what I'd find. So there is this contemplative air to this that also kind of fits the mood. 
Um, and then also the fact that the chords kind of recede here instead of sort of ch changing up rapidly at the ends of the phrases during the choruses you find that the chords are, are very steady they're purely supportive there's one chord uh, per measure essentially you know and that kind of lets you just zone in on this melody <laughs> FG 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 it, it's it's so self-aware of how straightforward it is you know I, I feel like Everything here is just intentional, and again, a lot of this has to do in context, in the greater context of the album, and how, as you said, the, the second track will push that further along, the third track will definitely move that further along. Um, and now I even have to point out another thing here. Uh, Mid-second verse, following the first chorus, when we get to uh, the second verse, we have this moment where everything just sort of silences itself. And I think this, in many ways, is is the culminating point that you might have been looking for, John. But, I mean, it's light, it's very it's it's very delicate. But there is this moment where all of the instruments just seem to leave; they disappear, and everything clenches up. I think you just hear the vocals, but then it's built right back in again with the sort of drum roll that sort of step in, steps in, rounds it out, and you know, it, it's almost like a hiccup in the track, just to remind you that there is still a a person behind this, and not a zombie. Well, one of the things I mentioned before we did this recording was that the song feels like it's connected to a story that hasn't yet been presented. And the way I'm going to really try to explain this is through a movie trope. Um, a lot of movies, uh, and it's one of my pet peeves when it comes to movies, will do a post-climax pre-resolution scene as the opening scene to the movie itself. Hmm. Uh, like what? What happens right before the end happens first. Like, but it's dying, right after that major complex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, just like when you start talking. Uh, uh, what was what was that one that they already made three of them and they were all terrible. Oh, I know. Uh, that bachelor party movie or Memento is another good example of having a scene right towards the end of the movie, but showing it at the very beginning. Right. Sort of like mm. trying to create uh, some additional tension or some additional intrigue. But this song is not looking to create you know, intrigue, intrigue or anything word. like that. It's this song is not doing that, but it is it does feel like it has the same sort of quality for me. Like there's a story, there's an ellipsis beforehand, there's an ellipsis afterwards. I just don't have the context for it yet. And I think that's basically my biggest peeve. Well, that's I don't know, that's I feel the I feel that's the nature of a story in many ways. I mean, if you knew how the story was going to be told before you actually got into the story, then that would kind of ruin it for me. I kind of like the ellipsis because, after all, that. Well, that, no, no, that's, I'm, I'm that's waiting true. for it's, for the context. That's, that's everyone true, has to. But it's linear. With without, and that's why it's one of the, my pet peeves when it comes to movies. I don't like that kind of storytelling. Okay. Okay. I like a little more sequential nature to it. Okay. Well, this is far too early in this album to even get uh, theoretical from that standpoint. Um, I, oh, I just I had to use is, my metaphor for the day. Yeah. I'm going to say just one more thing on this on this track before we move on because it, it's pretty relevant. Mm. I don't think we really uh, really mentioned it. Vocals, vocal oh. quality. It's pretty important here because I think perhaps even above all that we've mentioned, that's really what lends itself to this sort of dreamlike, sleepy state uh, because of the fact that they're they're stuck in an almost permanent uh, falsetto throughout this track. It's it's very airy. It's very I, I can't even think of a time in which they really come back. Uh, you know, down to, to normal range, um, unless it just evades me, and that's, uh, it may very well have, and it's just that's what I'm focused on is the falsetto here. It, it becomes almost a background noise of itself, but that's fine. That's fine. Again, instrumental use. They both often sing in, in, in a falsetto um, on a lot of tracks. Not always, but in a lot of tracks, and not on this album and a lot of their past works. It's just, it's, it's kind of their charm, and it kind of adds to that airiness. I agree. 
Um, and it really lends itself to what we get right off the bat with Endlessly, too. Because it starts with straight-up 80s synth and a vocal intro that complement each other. They're a little cheesy, but I don't think it's in a bad way. I kind of like the cheesy tongue-in-cheek nature of it. <laughs> Just how it's very upfront it's, it's itself. I mean, this song on its on its whole is a head bopper. You know, it's something you all belong to. Well, it's another one of those things we come across all the time, this sort of constant throwback to the 80s pop scene. And it's, 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 it's pretty apparent here, and it seems rather intentional. I mean, the funny thing is that it, it steps up in the very beginning, but it does recede at a certain point. Mm-hmm. The, the verses don't show it as much as the intro, really. The verses take on this sort of classic alt sound, and it, it I think it, it banks... At least that alt sound, I, I feel, is defined, um, banks on it being thin, but fast, and, and kind of down to earth. Like, you're just grooving along, and the song is almost wooing you in its own way. It still does, of course, return to the 80s keyboard motif, and sometimes that motif isn't on the keyboard, and later on it's actually echoed uh, by the vocals. And it, <laughs> it's almost like that same thing, that same motif motif from, from the previous track, like how it was just, you know, FG, FG, FG back and forth. Well, here it's kind of like that, this, oh, 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 back and forth. It, it's, it uses these very simple motifs, and I find this in almost every single track on this album, which is a classic go-to tactic. It, it's, a, it's the kind of simple musical motive that is supposed to get in your head. It's designed to get in your head, and it, it shouldn't really be that complex uh, if you're going for a, a straightforward pop track. Um, and it seems like in every case here, they managed to come up with a very unique one, no, none being more complicated than the previous. And yet each and, them, each, each and every one of them, they seem to stay in your head. I don't know. It's something to note because it, it strikes, I think it could strike a lot of people as being overtly simplistic, but I find that when you're able to do it on command repeatedly, it's an exceptional talent. And I would, I would equate that to uh, only one artist comes to mind, and that's Paul McCartney. He mm-hmm. was able to do this throughout his career. Um, I also really like about this track is that even though it has a very sweet emotional layer, like it comes across very sweet, lyrically it's not. Um, this is, this. Th- it sings of a very complicated relationship that's, that seems to be in, on an endless loop of difficulty. And the way the lyrics are framed, I think is a very unique way of, of phrasing it. They, they actually are quite poetic. Um, but it's nothing it's nothing super original lyrically that like we haven't heard this theme before because i mean a complicated well, relationship that falls on itself a lot is not uncommon that's because uh there's really only one like verse verse then, done here it's yeah. it's a there's actually two choruses when you get right down to it both with a little bit of differences actually musically they were fairly distinct from one another mm-hmm. and it's the back and forth play that it, it does alternate emotionally between the two. Not big divergences, but it, it's enough to keep the song going, even though you're basically just repeating the same frames over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what what Steve said, it, it does have some simplicity to it, but frankly, it's an easy enough to groove along to. Now I'm getting a little bit of an idea of where this song, this album's going. This, this did a lot to actually take away from my previous issues in Long Night when it comes to the context. You're getting a little more meat here. Um, it's still not a full-fledged story, but this feels like a, a more fleshed-out introduction for what might go into this album as a whole. Um, that being said, 
I still wasn't getting wowed. Even even though it was great to just be able to groove out and everything like that, there's still not a whole lot I'm latching onto. There's still nothing here that's that's really setting it apart. Going, oh, I love that part. There's nothing. It's it's not saying anything's bad. It's just that it's extremely good. It's ex- just extremely <laughs> good for me. Well, I think you're being conflicted on this. Uh, is is reflected by how I feel by by the varying sections of this track. I, I'll admit I'm not really. I agree. I'm not really imp- highly impressed by that that alt uh, verse, even really the chorus very much. Uh, you know the so so come on, love. We can make this right. If you want love, then come back inside. Because we just because we had love, we just let it slide. I don't know. I just this doesn't really reach out to me in any particular way. There's a lot of like major relative minors thing going on here, which is just it's a little bit been there, done that. But at the same time, eh, they pull it off later in, in various portions. But what I want to mention here is what I guess you could call the bridge in this track. Um, or the second chorus. Or the second chorus. There is this point here. Actually, maybe this was the chorus. I'm not exactly sure. But there's a moment here where, you know, you, you find this mostly in A minor, the entire track. Um, but then there's this this moment where it goes back and forth between F major and G major, right? And there's sort of a melody along this that kind of takes the role of a separate riff. It seems to come in as this new, far more interesting, you know, than that just that 80s synth thing that was going on earlier. This is really the crux point, it seems, of the song. It's, it's undoubtedly the climax. And the melody sort of just, you know, it goes along A minor, but because we're here in F, we're, in, we're on the sixth chord, it still sounds a little bit major. It sounds more like it, it's leaning toward the C minor, C major scale. And then later on, just as the, as the the part B to this the single section here, we flip that and go to D minor to A minor, and here the melody stays again more along A minor, but it's it contextually a little bit different because now we're kind of rooted in that D minor feel. Um, it sort of implies this like D ninth by kind of starting with that E on the top and at the beginning of this melody once D major and A minor are our roots. It's, this, it's, it's an interesting section, I think it was the first time I was really intrigued from a musical's perspective. Um, and that said, there are other little moments here. I mean, also there's a, I, I would call this kind of like a riff instrumental kind of thing. It's, it, it, it's a longer, it's too long I think to be called an interlude, but there are various moments in which this comes back and it, does, it, it just seems like it's without, it's without lyrics. So it stands alone, almost like an instrumental, but it, it's, I don't know, it's one of those halvesies it's kind a, of thing. It's a common thing that Guster actually does. They like to do little instrumental interludes or instrumental moments yeah. um, that are kind of hard to place or describe. They're not really so Almost like always. sections, but not quite yeah. sections, but yeah. not like interludes. Yeah. kind of always hung out. Well, I like also that middle ground. because they, I think they do that a lot on the recorded tracks because on their live albums and on their live shows, they play in those sections. They expand them a little bit in the live section. And there's a lot of room for that when they keep it in this framework. I like it because it's, just, it's one of those pure riffs that, that comes across, it, it speaks volumes, yet comes across so effortlessly. I think that's that's what I like about it. And that's, that's what I like about, again, almost all... Of, of their motifs here, but certainly some stand out amongst others, and, and this was it for me in this track. I also like how emotionally this track, just it, it's still continuing to ease you along, but giving you a little more complexity than the last track did. Um, again, it's a sweet, but also kind of sour. If you focus in on the lyrics, there's a little bittersweetness to it, and I like that. Um, and I think also it's just a good compliment to the first track. I, th- I understand what John's coming from about wanting more and not liking the way it started, because based on what John's saying, he's looking for specifically and his tastes, it makes sense. I just don't agree personally. I think it was enough for me, but I get where you're coming from. Well, I, I, think, will, I, will. But I think this track complements 
the last track, and I think it gives it a more full-fleshed. I will picture. use that as a closer, though, because there's a there's a little point here that I that I was not so much a fan of, and it does speak to John's point that for the first two tracks, especially in this record, again, I can point out moments, but I still am not feeling that like well-rounded, you know, wow of a track that really lures me into this album. I was still very skeptical at this point. Again, I'm kind of just expecting more of this same, and one of those reasons is I think because. The vocals, as much as I like them, as much as I like just the timbre quality, I mean, there is something where they feel very rigid. They still, they feel like they're they're tied so much with the rhythm. There's very little room for experimentation there, which again aids to the the, the sleep like quality of it. Because if there's nothing really out of the ordinary, then you can kind of just sort of zone out to it. If it was doing anything a little bit more, you know. If it was jumping out in you in various places, then, of course, you you would probably be thrown, which in most cases I find is a good thing musically. But it seems like they're just, they're very rigid, and this comes through also in the echoing of their vocals. Like, toward the end, you know, endlessly, we move asleep, desperately, carelessly, walk with me, talk to me, eventually we'll get it right. I don't know, I found that, I found that it kind of wore on me just by the tail end, and that, that is the last stanza of this track, so, eh, it, it was... It left me wanting more, but I will say, I think I did get that in the very next track, which is Doing It By Myself. This, right away, I'm start... I, I start just seeing the easy listening guitar, right away. You just have a nice, groovy, jamming guitar, coupled with bongos and a steel drum. And that's more along the lines <laughs> of what they're known for. As far as faster tracks, I played them a brief bit of Barrel of a Gun earlier, which featured bongos as well. What I really like is that they work these unique percussion instruments into a lot of their live shows and a lot of their tracks. And this is where I found the upbeat, more upbeat version of Guster that I'm familiar with. And this right away just starts capturing my imagination. Right away, I'm looking at something different. It's a, it's a bit of a wake-up call. And it goes right into building a just a great groove. Well, I do have something to interrupt you're going you along with. in one sense, and I think it's because I, 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 I may have heard it a little bit differently, but I thought that, that that steel drum sound was doubled, not by bongos, but I think with a synth that was doubling directly with the steel drum, which is what no, makes the it sound were so separate. odd. The bongos yeah, okay, were yeah, that's right. That was a separate, and, that's right, that was a yeah. separate track. It was, you know, there was the, the driving bongo line, the bass line, but, but specifically that steel drum uh, track that itself, I think, was doubled directly by a synth, which is what made which it sound kind of odd. Because of course it, we'd have we had, had the, cleaner steel drum. It before. almost had the actual uh, idea of string work with the vibration that was being built into it. I wouldn't at go first, that far. No, at first, without paying full attention to it, I thought there might have been just strings off in the distance instead of a steel drum. I had to ask on that. Like it, it's it's not something. Uh, it, it's just a little bit of a curiosity. I did notice that same sort of idea going on there, though. I'd leave it as vague as this. I think it just struck as a as a a strange oscillation in 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 the quality of that of the steel drum. Um, as to what it is, not sure, but I liked it, and immediately it I think it blended perfectly with the baseline itself. And from there, of course, it's well. Actually, I'll, I'll let you. Were you gonna say something? Well, I, all I was gonna say is that it goes from there, from that intro and that that musical experience. It kind of goes right into a very groovy, kind of almost chillaxing kind of vibe. You know, there, yeah. chillaxing. Yep, I went there. It it moved. Yet it was the peppiest track of of them right. all. Well, it, yet. It, it it moved. It was peppier than the last two tracks, but it still had this kind of groovy backbone to it. It still wasn't very fast-paced. It was just more fast-paced than the last two tracks. All right. Well, this is another case, and I, perhaps, again, it has to do with the underlying groove, the underlying rhythm, the underlying, uh, just the, you know, the variation of texture here at this point, which hadn't really impressed me, I think, thus far. But here, 
<laughs> we go back to the same thing. We go back to that, you know, major, relative, minor. F major, D minor. F major, D minor. Back and forth. Yet here, it seems to strike me as much more interesting because of all those other things going on. But now, this kind of takes a leap at some point. It was the first musical moment that has yet, uh that has yet intrigued me in terms of form. And that is, at the end of this section, after we, you know, do that over and over, there's this moment where we pivot on G minor, and that's our, our, our minor two chord. And then we start moving through this sort of more fast-paced uh, progression. And this, I just thought, was, was expertly done here. We go from G minor, C major, A minor, B flat major, C major, and then all of a sudden, and this is our, our entryway into the chorus, which is just simply... F major 7, and that is the moment that's being alive. That's the quote right at the moment. That's being alive. And that's what we hear, F major 7, which is just this fuller version of the home key, and it was this chilling effect, because on top of all that, we get, um, we get horns in the background, and it's actually, th this chorus is comprised between two chords. First, the, the F major 7 that we arrive at, and then uh, it's sort of a, a dual chord climax. It cycles between that and the four chord, B flat major, and on which that's where the trumpets really, really enter to kind of outline that B flat major chord. It's like B flat, D, F, and then goes down a step into the E, which is the top note, the seventh of F major itself, and that's what forms the F major seven. And it does this on maybe two or three cycles, and it it just is one of those simple, perfect choruses that I think. In a way, I almost hear like 70s ballad because they had a tendency to use, well, sometimes strings would be in its place, but also trumpets in, in that case, you know, just in the background, stepping forward to uh, to make it a little more grand than it would otherwise be. But the vocals do that alone themselves simply by, I think they're all harmonizing at the moment. They're forming the F major 7. It just seems like all things were working at this moment, and this is what I've been waiting for. Well, the whole thing comes across the pre-chorus and chorus as, as a true crescendo for the song. It, a true hook, a true crux point, yeah. which was, for me, really missing in the first two tracks. Something to latch on to. A hook is, is while not really the best way to, to try to grab an audience, you don't just want to have a hook. And then, boom, you get that, great, now you're singing along and all that sort of thing. But this is some of the content... I was missing for the character so far in this album. This, this, these music and the lyrics are coming together to really promote some great attitudes of assurance, some great emotional attitude from an individual standpoint, as opposed to just a setting or an idea. It made it a lot more personal for me. It made me a lot easier uh, and a lot more accepting of what was going on here. That plus the combination of just coming up with some more interesting and in some cases crazier textured really did a lot to just separate this track from what had already come beforehand. We've talked about the varied nature of what a hook can, can infer. And in this case, the funny thing is, you know, I, I like the fact that there's actually very little lyrics here. The lyrics in the, this chorus, uh, if we're calling that the hook, just simply just, but that's being alive, being alive. And it drags that out. Being alive, and you hold that F major 7th, and then, you know, right, right at the, the end chorus. of that, onto the 4 chord, you know, enter trumpets all at once. It's just this very full sound. Well, I think also the chorus has a lot more personality than the previous ones had had because they're almost not necessarily cheering, but like shouting those choruses. They're very, they're very, they let go of the perfect vocal uh, display and it's just very much personal. It's like they're just 
shouting it out. And, and it that's where that... Yeah, it makes it a lot more personal. That's where that character is finally coming into play. We've gotten a lot of setting and some context, but now I really feel like I'm starting to understand uh, an idea of what this album and where it wants to go with. Instead of just a dreamlike state, as, instead of just, you know, something fantastical, which is kind of what they were building in the first two tracks, this this has... It has some more coloration. Lines are being filled in for me. But there's also an assertive quality to this because we have to talk about the bridge. I mean, this is just the chorus. All right, it builds to a wonderful climax. Most tracks probably would have left it that. Probably would have just walked out in that high note, maybe go back to another verse. But the bridge itself, I think, is in many ways a close competitor. Right out of this chorus, which I've already talked to death, we enter into a bridge, which is that simple... If you don't come, I'll do it by myself. If you if you don't care, I'll do it by myself. By myself. And this is the grooviest section of the entire song. Everything peps it up a little bit more. This is this is times it goes to uh, this time it goes to G major, G, G minor, and then to C major. So now we're oscillating between uh, the two chord and the five chord. Um, and I don't know. It's something again. It's just really. I I don't say this a lot, but sometimes the simple pop progression, if just done right really, really works. And I think so far they've, they're showing me that they're a master of that. I'm not seeing much else in the way of long form. It's, it's still everything so far is standard, but they're doing, it, they're doing it at their peak capacity. Well, I think also the difference is our biggest complaints with other pop structures is that they don't do much with it where they're using it to their advantage. They're not just doing it. They're doing more with it, and they're still adding to it because also there are a lot of layers here, and there were a lot of layers in the other two tracks too. They, they're using other instruments than just bass, guitar, and drums. They are using bongos, steel drums, well, that pianos, reminds me. keyboards. That reminds else. me also what I was saying about uh, self-reassurance is that from a thematic perspective, of course, if you're talking about, well, you, if you don't come, I'll do it by myself. Mm-hmm. You know, so following that, you know, but that's being alive, that's being alive, which feels a little bit more inward. Yes, it's personal, all the things we said, but then when we enter out with this... It seems like it's such an appropriate place to, you know, step up with that. Again, they could have receded, but instead they break out into dance. If you don't come, I'll do it by myself. Self-assurance. You know, what you have to tell yourself at any given point. Yeah. And, I don't know, I, I, I just... I think that, that, that is a perfect song for a lot of situations. I could find it applicable, applicable in almost every sense. Yeah, um, I agree. You know... It has the same sort of the, emotional... What rock is supposed to be for you, for instance, you know, stepping you out of your shell... Opening yeah. up, uh, do it anyway. Exactly. If we're going to talk Ben Folds, Ben Folds fives, do it's it. It's anyway. a spiritual brother. I'll do it anyway. Yeah. Um, I think that 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 would sum it up best for me. Yeah, I agree. And while I love the piano, I was think, the, In fact, I think I was uh, thinking of that. Yeah. There's in many ways, familiar, sometimes right? uh, he, in his voice reminds me a little bit of Ben Ben Folds. Well, uh, they, sometimes it also reminds me of Stephen Malkmus. Yeah. You know, also great alt stars in their own right well these are all artists that came out around the same time i mean they all yeah, were playing around the same true. time in the same places so they it's, it's not very far far well, yeah they unless i'm mistaken of... you did say that uh ben folds and guster did have a uh, concert together at one point that with you went to ba- go see. yes go figure with with bare naked ladies and all of those bands <laughs> well, are contemporaries even though they've grown in different ways they were all around at the same time i think it's because they have this 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 vocal quality to them that sounds like they're just everyday dudes but yeah. they that they still have very good singing voices within that, but it's just like the the it's the a relatability. Yeah. Well, if you want to the talk framework about is the if everyday you want to talk dude. about like everyday dude vocal work, the ending with the la la las, honestly, that should have been the hulkiest idea you can come up. It with. was sincere though. It's it's but that Smurf level. Yeah. La 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 la. But this <laughs> honestly, 
It worked. It worked great. Well, it was, what I like it more, did a great outro with that. Just having that kind of carefree nature to it. I like more than that was actually that, that little synth bass kind of funky dance outro, which yeah. would seem to reflect, I think, that uh, that bridge. So yeah, all together. I mean, this was talk about driving music. This was just this was tip top for me. And now we go to Lazy Love. Lazy Love. So this one, right out the gate, to me, felt very, and it's no surprise to any of us, it had a very Beatles-esque feel from music to vocals to structure. It felt very much in that vein. And I mean, of course, it's a broad thing to if say. We're, if we're going to say Beatles, I would hearken it more towards the Yellow Submarine era yeah. of Beatles, that specific album area. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. I think that's because, a lot, a lot of that, I think, is because of the bass work. You know, Paul's bass work was very crisp back then and it a lot of times was very kind of kind of jaunty it just sort of it was not what you'd call a walking bass it has that little hiccup in it as if you're just sort of doing this quirky stroll down the street and there did seem to be that same that same little hiccup in the middle of this bass line but it's it's very easy to get into um beyond that in the verses the drums take on this very kind of like rattling driving uh sort of machine-like backdrop, but still very smooth. And then that yields to guitar, this sort of like gradual introductions, and then finally the falsetto caps it off. But everything is still connected to that bass. Throughout the entire track, just about everything does get defined by that bass. And I love the way it works with that, all the additional layers that they do with it. And at times it feels like having that bass kind of being absent from the pieces, especially during the uh, more instrumental parts between the vocal sections, was very telling to what sort of idea they were building into that theme work. It was very telling towards the instrumentation and the layers they were building into the album. Right. And another, I, I have I have two more things to say about this bass, in fact. One, first of all, is also the warmth of the bass. Again, very, very indicative of Paul McCartney. And um, very inviting for the track itself. Yes. Uh, there's, you know, I talk a lot about crisp bass. This is, is, is more warm than it is crisp. Still kind of crisp, though. But warm is like, is like the, the... Uh, word of the, day. Single, the word of the day, single defining factor, I think, of this. But, but even more so in this track here. Uh, the other thing I have to mention about it is also the what, it, what it's doing in various moments. Of course, a lot of a lot of standard bass works, you know, just like one five ones, and it just it stays along that for I think the intro. But then by the time we enter the verses here, it's it's getting kind of it's getting kind of rapid pace here. It moves into these sort of quick little spurts where we ha- might have like say the one five one to just you know enter in the section but then by the time by the time the the phrase kind of climax the melodic phrases um then it, it takes on this quick like 171 just sort of going you know hits home then a little bit down then right back home again and all this is like you know at the speed of of say 16th notes or maybe even 32nd notes it's a very uh it's a very fast paced bass that fast paced bass that's hard to say <laughs> but tongue twister it's just, i mean i don't know there's something you're talking about a song called Lazy Love. This is anything but lazy. <laughs> well, also what I really liked is, and I mean, sometimes it can be pretty cheesy, but the way they kind of structured it around the bass work and the percussion and the rhythm with those piano accents that would just kind of come in. I almost thought they were a xylophone at first just because they were just, you know, notes here and there peppered to accent certain That's right, little piano moments. singular ac- accents just and, on the chord. And I really like that because it kind of gave this effect that that could have been cheesy if it was used too much but it was at these very defining spaced out moments to fill in the gap but not to feel like it was 
filling a crack like there was a problem. It was just to accent those individual just more emphasis on the bass than there is the treble but still you have you have the full spectrum here it's not just you know limiting itself but you know it's always nice to hear one section comp to the next it's it's going back to uh yellow submarine for a minute here only a northern song has the same sort of idea short little snippets of vocal work which is what this does yeah uh just repeats two phrases over but it's during those breaks where you just try to get a little bit experimental just so, just enough to, not necessarily progressive from an A to B or anything like that. In fact, it was it was just fooling around for most parts. It was just, just effing with the idea of what they built while they're singing. That that was just, it's just enjoyable. There's no other way to put it because it's keeping a familiar tone throughout. That. When you when you just fool with it enough, add in a little bit here, remove a little bit there, but make it a presentation as opposed to background noises, that I, I don't know I don't really know how to explain it other than in context of other music, it's it's just something that works. No, I agree with that, and it's, I think it's um it had to do with my my experience as I was listening to this album. Is it unfortunately, and there is. This is going to be, I think, one little nagging thing when we eventually reach the wrap-up here, and that is the fact that a lot of times it does remind me of bands, or remind me of specific musicians, remind me of eras. Um, There's not anything I'm really encountering here that's wildly new, except that it shows, and we've experienced this a lot lately, uh, it shows a, a, an expertise in capturing certain eras and certain styles. But I still appreciate that at the same time. Like... And I think they're doing new things within that. They create new new motives, new... Again, all of the material itself is unique, but it seems to harken back to existing stuff. But I feel like that's not necessarily always a bad thing. I feel like an expertise within a section can be as good as something brand new. It's, it's a different path. It's not a bad path. It's a different path. Um, but that's, that's something I think that's... It's best an existing to... path. Right, right. That's, that's, you know... Well, but I'm saying it's not that new... That, that It's not paving new ground. It's following the same path, but doing it in their own way. Well, it's... While it's, hearkening back to other things that have come before. No, I, I say I respect it. I, I feel like, at the end of the day, though, I am usually looking for something musical... I mean, I don't know. it Something musically fresh. Even as... as it could be just a minor element. It could be very small. But, you know, eh, who knows? It may yet come up in this album. And I get that. I don't want to overlook the lyrics, even though they are pretty straightforward and re- repeated. They are still sweet and interesting. Uh, <laughs> wake on wake on up. Let's not get lazy, love. We're always no, no, so... No, 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 You already screwed it up. <laughs> Let's not get lazy, love. There is a mild pause between that, which is something I really enjoy. Also, awesome love. Later on. That not awesome, amazing, amazing love. Excuse me, amazing love. It's awesome that love. slight little pause that speaks volumes, frankly. Well, because lazy love is different than lazy love. Well, because it's not love as an idea; it's love as a person. It's exactly a noun. love it, is being treated as a noun as he's referring to someone. But his love. It's not so long of a pause to actually make that a concrete idea. It's still short enough that. Like when you read it, it's just lazy love or amazing love. It could be considered either way. That little thing, that shows a little bit of genius right there. That that was smart. That was really, really good. And, and it, I'm glad you brought that up. Because it adds an impact to the song also beyond just the musicality. Exactly. And it's it's that makes it even more fun for me. Yeah, but there's a, I mean, there's a story behind that I almost kind of like want to 
want to overlay, and that's of course the fact that it implies, you know, that that it, that they are getting lazy, perhaps in like say keeping it alive, keeping it fresh. Um, you know, let's not get lazy, love. We're always so lazy, love, wasting our time. It, it's like, it's like, kind of getting bored by perhaps by perhaps the the everyday moments. He wants to keep keeping it fresh, go out, do things. You know. Something, to, something to just the idea, keep the spark there. But it's the idea a lot of trying of times to avoid. Don't do that. It's the idea of trying to avoid monotony. Yeah. In any form, and in this case, it's in the form of love. I and mean, again, it goes back to that self-assurance thing, just like we heard in the last track. You know, if you don't come, I'll do it by myself. Well, here the self-assurance is: let's get amazing love. We are divine. We are. You know. Yeah. He clearly, say though, we there, could be. Clearly, though, there's a little bit of doubt. A little bit of doubt. Yeah. We are. I don't know. It adds more character to the song. It contrasts the previous verse, is what I'm saying. So, But they're supposed to be, I think. They're yeah, that's what I mean. Be, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. It adds a dichotomy that's interesting so, for the so, song. So you got what I said. Okay. Yes, I got what you said. <laughs> Track five, Simple Machine. This is the first single off the record. Um, what I really like about this track, and John brought it up, is that while still giving you what Guster is capable of and what they tend to do, this one is more jaunty and fun than the other tracks had been. It, it fits the structure of a solid single because it gives you a little of what you can expect. And it also gives you something quite different from what you've gotten as well. It's a little of both. Say, for instance, something, oh, musically fresh? Yes. As I hinted in the last track, as I usually do, as these things come up later on the album, I often don't say that in vain. Yes, this is the moment. This is the moment where even it seems to step out of... of you know, what I was already kind of getting into as early as doing it by myself, just in terms of uh, musical expertise and standoutishness, well, this kind of takes it further. This is not just, it, it's not just standoutish, this is, this is unique. I don't know if I've ever really heard it before. Yeah, it has little things here and there. Simple Machine, of course, it's, it's, it's driven by the kind of a beatbox, and it comes off as very machine-like. It has um, machine, it sounds within it that are, are synthetic or... From a uh, computer or a um, keyboard that feel very mechanical. Right. But then on top of that, we seem to have, I think, the most... Well, it, it's interesting. The the, the melody com- it sort of reminds me of something. And I think I think this is where his voice kind of reminded me of a different... Uh, we were going all these other different singers. But here, I thought of the lead singer of Panic! at the Disco, actually. Just, I could hear just that. Just off, offhand, because of the way he sings this, and specifically the, the melodic line here. So say again, you're in E major. Well, using the notes on E major, this melody goes 3, 5, 1, 3, 6, 1, 3, 5. And, I don't know, there's something about that. Again, simple riff. Seems really simple. All that is doing is just breaking apart the E major chord. But it's it's thickened up a little bit just by that one moment where they threw in the six there, all right? Not quite as done, but still, when you combine that with all the beat work in the background, with this very rich beatbox, and then, of course, all the little muffled bass sounds. And again, this is that, that little thing I can't quite put my finger on, but, you know, just like we were struggling to define what, what really made up that steel drum. Well, there's something a little bit different about it, just the way it oscillates. Here, again, something a little different about the synth that steps in with all these, like, little, little, you know, it's like... It's it feels it feels clenched up a little bit. Like a lot of the the pops have just been 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 cut out, and it's just very rounded in each and every in each and every return from that sound. It's very fast paced and very very driven. Probably the most the, the danciest track on this on this album, uh, while at the same time still being unique and not unidentifiable as Guster. And this does something that Lazy Love started to do, which is take those musical interlude ish kind of ideas because it's not just simple exposés or anything like that it's not just simple little 
uh, four beat pieces to get you to the next verse or to get you to the chorus or anything like that. They actually go and just completely F with the melody in between parts. Completely F with the layering in between parts. Because we're getting heavy techno. Like really heavy techno work in some bits. And yet at other times you just get a very simple piano going up and down the keys. This is the biggest drawing point for me. Because they take that melody that they, they originally built and they fool with it to a much further extent that Lazy Love really just couldn't go to. Here, Simple Machine really gives me even multiple genres, I want to say, of, of music going on here, and that is just outstanding. Well, also, this track does something, I think, that what also we are really latched onto. It was the most engaging and catchy track we've heard yet. It's, it's an earworm, but not just for the sake of being repetitive and catchy. It's intriguing. It really, and the intricacies within each part that John mentioned also draws you in. Well, I gotta go back to the multiple genres that John mentioned, uh, that it reminds him of. Because yes, all right, it's intriguing. Um, I still don't think it's like unattributable to any, to any Oh era. no. And yeah. I wouldn't say that the genres ourselves are going from like jazz, jazz to classic rock well, or first anything of all, like you that. Already it's still the same realm You already mentioned another. techno, and even that little beatbox, all right, it kind of goes back to that 80s era stuff again, but it's it's just not as cliched as, let's say, I experienced here in the second track on this album. You know, right. that's kind of that been there, done that stuff. This, I mean, it reminded me a little bit of um, the Eurythmics, even a little bit of, uh, of Vangelis. You know, just kind of that, that early era uh, electronica work. It just... It, it goes back to that. I just think that they're doing, again, they're doing something fresh with it. So maybe I'm jumping the gun again to say that the whole entire thing, the whole entire concept is fresh. But it's just a combination of all these different elements. I think it's not, it may not be a fresh idea in all its pieces, but I think as a whole, as a piece, it's fresh. All right. And it's definitely fresh for the album, Then too. Let's, let's talk about sectionally. Let's even talk about well, moments within sections here. For instance, the way he... Always goes back, you know, I'll never find my way back, I'll never find my way back home. You know, that yeah. little, that little, just that, you know, just playing around with one syllable. Again, eh, you didn't have to do it, but he did it. And it's just something that ties it together. It makes it feel a little bit, uh, a little bit peppier than it might otherwise, although it still probably would. <laughs> and then we go to other different segments here. And this is, I think, where I was most intrigued. You mentioned uh, the, the piano in this, John. The instrumental that comes later here. And this time I will call it a full-fledged instrumental. Um, introduces the piano in this sort of offbeat nature. It always comes in the end. Um, and then it starts really slowly layering on these different, uh, these different sound effects. First you get the piano, it seems to be just that and this, and you know, the, the underlying beat. Then you add uh, a more richer drum layer. And then on top of that, you add this, this little synth line. And then on top of that, this sort of solo with full-fledged bongos. So uh, that's another thing I do have to mention here. There's, even though they introduce new things and, and they sort of stagger it a little bit. It does, we've mentioned all these instruments before in earlier tracks. There's a through line in terms of just what is present on this album, which gives it its own distinct sound. Um, perhaps not the guster sound, but is certainly the ever motion sound, which in many cases is more important if your album has a defined, uh, has a defined anchor to it. It makes, it makes you just think of an overall feel when you think of an album. And I have to say that sudden break from the music into just the piano should have been startling. It should have been. But the fact that, frankly, we've gotten enough piano work thus far, even though it's been very light, that I wasn't, I wasn't confused by it. It wasn't hokey. It wasn't an idea that was 
there you go, here, fan service or yeah. idea, here you go. No, while granted the piano had not really stepped forward to be a major element or a leading element up until that point, and even the way it sounds, it does not sound like a leading element. It's too soft for that. Because it's in line with the concept of the track, simple machine. So that's all the piano sounds like, a simple machine, you know, simply appearing on the on the end, which makes it even sound more mechanical than, let's say, if it was played on the one. Because, you know, n- most people don't think like that. We don't think of being, you know, offbeat in everything. Almost all the time, we're just constantly thinking about the beat itself. One thing that's also coming through more and more with every track that we listen to lyrically, and I mean, this is kind of an emotional arc that you can only find really in the lyrics, is this idea of self-reliance that we've brought up a few times. There's a lyric here that also brings it up. So just forget about me. I will get on by myself. I will not, I'm not a simple machine. I've become someone else. So it's this idea of getting on by himself. Again, it's been mentioned in a few tracks at this point, this idea of self-reliance. Even with Lazy Love, there was still this idea of self-reliance where he was trying to rely on himself to get this lazy love going again. So Mm -hmm. it's an interesting emotional arc that I didn't really notice the first time. Most of it because I wasn't focusing as hard on the lyrics. I was focusing on how they were singing, not so much what they were singing. Well, I will say say the one thing that's bothered me so far, but it's really just nitpicky at this point, is I don't really think the lyrics are really deep or anything like that. There's there's not a whole lot of like that heavy poetry, on but how I you interpret it. I, know, I, I was going to go in a different feel, direction. They feel here. a little bit simple, but frankly, yeah. I don't want anything more. They're poetic enough, and I feel but, like that that are that through line is strong enough. But the point I'm making is, frankly, it's not the words he's saying. His delivery is just so much more important than what he's actually saying right now. His vocals are just so good at, at, at conveying this, uh, conveying emotions, period, of, of working with the music around it, that I, I, I would feel like this is the sort of guy that could just say whatever the hell he wants, well, you say, and it doesn't matter what he's saying. Let's look at the lyrics themselves. You say conveying emotions, and yet at the same time, I feel like this is more about the lack of emotion at this juncture, at this state of his relationship, as it were. The track's called Simple Machine. I think it's just about being stuck in the rut, and you get this really more, and I do agree uh, with what you're saying, John, about delivery. And this is more important, I think, even than the, the, the section that you had read, uh, Matt, it, as, as the very beginning, the verses, and each and every time we revisit a verse. First we get static, and this is on, the, on that same melody that I was saying in, in E major, you know, three five one three six one three five. Static, steady, plastic, motion, Lights flash, beating, almost, breathing. He's caught in this this haze, you know, and I'll never find my way back. I'll never find my way back home. He, he's sort of caught in the monotony of it all, the same monotony that he was trying to avoid earlier on this record. It, it, it clearly was foreshadowed. As I said, yeah. something sounded a little bit doubtful back then. You know, he was trying to save it. He said, we are divine. Well, that sell, seems very self-assured, but the, the, rest of the, uh, the rest of the lyrics in that track didn't seem to imply it. Here, I mean, it's basically illuminating that even better. We go further in the second verse. Empty, hollow, spit and swallowed. Preachers preaching, courage seated. It gets a little bit darker as we go for, further. Um, wise up, scarecrow, this is treason. Coal eyes see it, straw heart beating, we get up further abstract. I mean, it's pretty bizarre. At the same time, I, I, I still feel like this is th- this being caught in a haze. And, of course, obviously, if the, if the music in that, that single uh, uh, synth 
motif is 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 symbolizing this monotony i think it does perfectly and the instrumental perhaps is your is your your whirlwind your vortex as it were i mean i don't know how far we want to go with this but at the same time it, this is the only track in this album where i have to say i think all these things really really sync together from this is why i'm defending it so much not just in terms of uh of um of what it's doing not just in terms of being fresh but in terms of how it combines the various elements yeah it definitely and definitely i think it's bringing to light things that were always there but they're all coming together and becoming more apparent in this yeah. track and then and the final you... the final bridge also i have to mention because it is that i i feel like in some way it it brings back the most melodic portion of the entire track I shouldn't say brings back. It's it's a, it's a new section, and this is really just at the tail end. They wait a long time to bring in this bridge. This is just the very final stanza. Um, Ever after, I get further. Who will still be waiting? Even after it gets further, I can feel you fading, which puts a cap in almost every single thing I just said. Like, <laughs> it, this is this is drifting. This thing is not holding together. Whatever he has with this person is just pretty much done at this point, or at least it it's looming looming in the backdrop. And and this is the most melodic, heartfelt moment than all those earlier uh, verses, which feel tied to this mechanical nature. Here, it just lets loose. And yet, all the instrumentation in the background, it comes together in the grandest way here. All of it just seems to be like, you know, all the instruments just dancing in tandem. It, it, it's great. And then the final riff, of course, closes it out. And to expand upon this idea, expectation... Track six goes even further with that sort of message. Uh, this is really where I feel like some of the best lyrics of the album, as far as being evocative, really reside. This is, again, going to end up being coupled with uh, the coming back uh, 70s synth work, well, 70s, thing, 80s synth work. The thing about mm -hmm. this synth work, though, that I feel really complements the last track is that it still feels a little industrial, which, I mean, was what the last track was letting off steam, no pun intended. A little industrial, but let's let's go to what you said earlier. I remember before uh, before we were recording, you described it as a... As a a Beatles melody over an industrial backdrop, which seems really, really bizarre, but, you know, you can hear it because just barely in the distance you hear this kind of metallic reverb that's there. But at the same time, the melody that's over it sounds so much more positive. Again, of course, the track is called Expectation, like we have to recoup from the uh, from the doldrums of, of the, the tail end of the previous track. Um, but this is not entirely without uh, an ominous feel. Of course, the industrial gives the, gives lend to that, and then so, do, so does the... Uh, the the chord work in 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 the chorus it feels like this is driven mostly by just the bass dropping you know you stay mostly on e major we have a lot of tracks on this on this album come to think of it that are in e major and the initial chords are driven by that e just dropping you know first it drops just a half step down to e flat then it drops again down to down to d um and when we go down to d what you what what you formed now is essentially a diminished chorus and now it really clenches everything up gets a lot more dense just in your opening chorus so there's a lot of little sections like you know just by this point in the track that just start clenching it together you know fulfilling that ominous feel but you know you can't get away from that melody the melody that just still sounds like it's coming straight from the from the mouth of Paul McCartney I don't know. I, I can see the duality just painted all over, slather all over this album I said off before the song that it was like a double-edged sword yes the percussion, I think, is where most of that darker and creepier nature resides. Um, because the, those little tidbits of what the drum's doing, and I think that, I think that's what I kind of honed in on most in this. Even though in the previous tracks, I really love the bass. I enjoy what the bass does. 
here, that creepy feature couldn't get away from the rest of what I was doing. It it permeated some of the way he even pronounces the words, um, especially in the chorus. Feel myself fading towards the fire. There's no arguments in heaven. No more une- uh, uneasiness that leave that lingers just people hanging around forever and when he hits those there are no arguments in heaven or just people hanging around forever the little hiccups he has in his voice while you'd think oh yes it's bliss but it's showing a little bit of a lie towards that bliss well that coupled with the wet the percussion's doing just just makes it just adds that little bit of grade to the pretty picture that's being done by the bass and the synth work well, there's well a... he left off the most pointed line at the very end of that final verse. Oh, I wasn't, that there. Is, of course... I wasn't there yet. Oh, well, let's just go for it, because it's the last line to that verse, and it is just simply, I'm blind. Could you sum it up any better? Well, I he... mean, maybe he didn't have to sum it up. We were pretty much already there at this point, but I really do like I, I do like what you brought forth here. There's no arguments in heaven, and of course, heaven is, is what he has thought he's been in up to this point. And this is him proving it to himself in almost every state. No more uneasiness that lingers. Well... Of course, there wouldn't be uneasiness in heaven. So, thus, if he feels uneasiness, he's clearly not in heaven. There's also a drawl on the vocals that I think really accentuates that emotionality that John's speaking to. It's all delivery. I mean, the lyrics are there, too. It's definitely, it's not all delivery, but the delivery is part of what I think also adds to the impact of those already powerful lyrics. And we've been saying that since the beginning, that the the vocals have had that, but it carries even more weight here. This song feels so much grander than the last song or not even not necessarily grander but definitely grand and it's i think the complete package as far as all of those things coming together that really kind of give it this impact that the lyrics are just pushing forward because musically it's there too the music musicality is the backbone of that that push for this song's emotionality as well yeah, and I'll also withdraw one other thing. I you know I keep going back to Beatles Beatles Paul McCartney Paul McCartney. I, I don't think it's Again, I think this is one of those things that harkens back to an era more than anything else. And I think, of course, it would even seem to lend itself to other modern musicians who also dip back to the era, such as Ben Folds 5. I mean, we've gone there before, even here within this album, and I think that's really what I'm leaning toward because of the way he tends to borrow from the great piano ballads that were written in the 70s, um, perhaps spurred by Paul McCartney, furthered by Elton John, furthered by Billy Joel, and then, you know, Ben Folds is essentially our, our, our modern uh, um, access, our, our modern, you know, the modern rendition of that era. That's what we see today, and that's how we access it. Um, and it seems like this is taking that same route, of course, it's just taking it in terms of a full-fledged rock band without just sole focus on piano, sole focus on uh, on a singular instrument. It's, it's, it's alt in every sense, but, you know, this is still, again, I can see it in concert. I can see this um, on a grander scale. Um... But again, again, you're also looking here at the uh, at the synth work in the background. It does seem to this would be your backseat song over the course of all the the tracks in a, in, a, in a given concert. This would be the one that just recedes a little bit, you know, your mellow track, because it's the sad one. It's where he realizes that eh, shit, this is over. Yeah, it has a dreamlike quality to it, uh, but it's still got 
concrete nature about it. It's still your a sad quality, not a dreamlike anymore. No, no, We're no. past the dream. No, no, there's still a the synth still comes off a, a bit of a dream, as in you've sort of disconnected from reality. You're awake. You're definitely awake, but things don't feel like they've completely meshed up correctly. The, the it's that realization causing a little bit of a tingling in your hands and lips, where your blood pressure is spiking, but you're sort of shutting off your emotions a little bit because it just becomes a little bit too much. Hmm. It's it's numb and scary and a couple of other things put together, but still very emotional and kind of grounded. In many ways, this track almost lay, lays it on a little bit thick because of all the different instrumental portions that just point to the same exact thing that we've illuminated. We get, for instance, that guitar drawl, right? At the ends of certain phrases in the verses, um, you know, just that twang, that <laughs> it sounds so sad and, 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 and defeated. Um, and every single time it enters, you can, you can, you can predict it on a dime whenever it enters. And it, it, it seems to sum up like the, the teardrop that just occurred after, you know, pouring his heart out poetically, almost, almost like a diary. And that guitar just captures it. And singularly. I, I think though, that the way this track culminates really kind of lends well to the next track now that we're talking thematically because at first i thought game gangway was kind of a a departure but honestly if you go through such a terrible and depressing state this idea of gangway like get the hell out of my way i'm gonna be happy and do you know get kind of ridiculous and whatever gangway track six has this kind of beach rock feel think beach boys it's happy go lucky it's flowy and i think the idea behind this track and the reason it comes across so cliche almost though that's not necessarily a bad bad thing is because you're trying to escape from this horrible realization by just doing whatever it takes to be happy and this song kind of conveys that emotionally in the music but to to say how good it is for the theme itself I feel like it, it, it's not quite in line with the arc of the music. Uh, yes, it's a sort of a happy-go-lucky, good old boys kind of an idea being presented here. And it's not exactly a full departure, but one of the major features that feel, feels like it's missing here is those extra layers, is those extra ideas. They're not really, we're not really flush with, with those, those little tidbits that we were latching onto in the previous tracks. And that, to me, was the big departure from the music. I think that it's supposed to convey, though, beyond that. And I would agree that the, musically it was a bit of a departure. I think emotionally it's supposed to give way all sort of this kind of like sway-worthy singing around a campfire song, too. You know, like going to a group of people and trying to party and hang out and just be groovy to be even more cliche. And I think... It does convey that quite a bit, both in the lyrics and the music. I feel like we come across this theme almost too much lately. I yeah. mean, in sort of in terms of the track that that follows the big realization or the big uh, climactic event, as it were, the 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 destructive event, and then it's followed by a track that is sort of proving to yourself that you need to kind of let loose, you know, do something that 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 breaks out. We had this just last week. We had it earlier in uh, TV on the radio album Seeds. I mean, it just seems like. I don't know. I, I, I know what this album, what this track is supposed to is supposed to embody, and especially following the track called Expectation, which is totally ironic and always was from the beginning, because expectations are almost done at that point. That's what the, the lyrics convey. Here, this almost captures truer expectations than that one did. That was clinging and sort of summarizing in a way, but this flat out, you know, lays on the conditionals from the beginning. If, if 
I could make a wish. If I could right a wrong. If I could plot a twist, we wouldn't be here long. I'd lean in, again, would, would, could, all this stuff. I'd lean in into each turns, uh, lean into each turns, seeking of emotions, see the walls, the house, the sky starts shaking, the clouds, the land, the sea gave way. I'm swinging with my fists, shouting with these lungs. La 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 da da. <laughs> with tongue and teeth and lips, we're screaming out a song. All of this, again, self-assurance just laid on here, almost too thick. Yep. It's um, definitely coming up in every track. It's definitely the overarching theme for sure, emotionally, is that self-reassurance or that self-assurance. Yeah. And kind of like you're inside your head at this point. Yeah, it, there's, there's definitely an inside head voice song. Yeah. Like you're singing this to yourself almost to kind of get yourself through, psych yourself up or out or yeah, whatever. That's what, I, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, it's a psych-up song. But we've come across this, like you said, a lot of times in the good, the bad, and the ugly. And some albums it fits in perfectly and some albums it really doesn't. Here's one where it just... It just it's too big of a departure. I, I don't I feel... It's not a phone-in or anything like that. I think it's more of an idea, an artistic choice of, let's do a let's do a big reinvention. Let's do that next step in our physical evolution. Uh, Here's the thing, though. Not, because I don't, think it's a, I don't think it's a musical depart... I mean, rather, I don't think it's stylistic departure. I mean, again, all of this, we're, we're just still stuck in that kind of 70s era. I could throw out the Beatles, although I don't kind of don't want to anymore. Not, more, not more what leaned here actually was sort of the lighter side of Pink Floyd. You know, when Pink Floyd wasn't doing their psychedelic stuff, you know, they did upbeat tracks too, and this seems right in line with that voice. Again, the, the bass steps forward, it's very playful. The guitar steps forward, it's almost kind of like southern in its way, but wonky, distant, lots of reverb there, and uh, especially like toward the end, kind of has its own like, like, like solo of sorts, but it's, it's, it's more of a, um, it's more of like an ambient solo, kind of, just because of the, the effect that's laid on the guitar at this point. But, you know, I I think I I think I enjoyed it. It's just maybe I'm getting a little tired of, of of the direction that these themes are taking. It seems like it seems like this 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 is the way all these stories want to be told. And I I, I do have a I, I do have an issue I think with um with the fact that if you are going to tell a breakup album, well, <laughs> I don't know. We're we all have our influences. We all know what we're looking at. We all know. We all know what's out there. I just, I, I feel like it, I feel like this has been said. Yeah, I think when speaking from the heart, sometimes it's hard to be original because you just want to speak from your heart. And sometimes your heart is the same story that's come up before. And which, of course, it's the story of the universe and everyone who, ever's, who has ever been in love and loss and all that. And I feel like, I feel like a talking cliche even saying this. Right. But, <laughs> but that said, I think John's right. The song isn't bad by any means. It's just... It was kind of predictable, but it still fits the arc, uh, the theme of what they're trying to convey emotionally anyway. Um, I think that we get something a little more unique than this track in the next track, Kid Dreams. Well, maybe not unique. I feel like we really are revisiting the dream state oh, yeah, again here. Um, it's, the intro's a little somber, which considering what we've been going through emotionally, it makes sense. Um, it, it's... What I really like about the the start to this track, though, is immediately when we get hit with the vocals, the way he frames the vocals in this track, sort of almost feeling a little start-stop, gives it an impact that, you know, we got more in, you know, um, the single and an expectation. Simple machine and expectation. It's well, reminiscent of that stylistically. Well, the bass is once again back in full forth and yes. just smoothing out so many of the rougher bumps that might occur in this case. But... 
it, it, st speaking out the vocals, I want to point out one thing I just did not enjoy. And that was during the chorus, that kind of echoey feel that they're doing with the drums and the paralleling bass that seems to be going on in the, in the real far reaches of what was going on. I just did not like that that idea. That's just a nitpick I got right there. It was it's something that kind of defeated that dream state that I I was already enjoying on this album and wanted to be back inside. You're going to hate me saying this, but I got to say it. I I I'm getting tired of saying it, but this time it sounds like the beginning of this track went from like this whistling rocket sound and then dived right back down straight into a Paul McCartney track. This time not Beatles. This time not not Beatles-esque musical work, but straight up Paul McCartney melodic style, even with he's singing the first verse here. So there I was, 15, stuck in high school with no prom king, zoned out in a daydream of a pretty girl, my own beauty queen. Even just the way he says pretty girl, it almost sounds like it has that little Liverpoolian twang. I just, I couldn't break it this time. This time I, I just, I thought it was straight up homage almost. And it could be. I mean, it wouldn't be that far afield for it to be. Yeah. Um, to John's point, and I guess I can see where he's coming from, and it's not the song does do those things, so it does make sense. I just don't agree that it it would take me out of it. What I like about Kid Dreams is that it feels like a child's dream state or even nightmarish. This idea that it, that disjointed chorus section, I feel, really supports this kind of somber dream state that kind of jumps into a nightmare for a brief period and then kind of falls back into this this slumber. Um, I understand where you're coming from, but I just don't think it ruined it for me or just or or threw me out of it. I kind of liked what it did. This sudden start-stop to this song kind of gave it this interesting flow that was unique to anything else on the record. Well, what's interesting is that this is kind of taking it even a little bit further, and I almost want to cite this as filler here, uh, thematic filler, just because it chooses this time, you know, after we've already had our climax and two songs ago, and even the last track, I felt like it was kind of almost, you know, reaching for... For, for a repeat of the same theme here, it decides to go a different route. Now, all of a sudden, we need to hear the origin story. Like, how did he get to be where, where, he, where he is now? Kid dreams, and it, it goes straight back into, into uh, this, this nostalgia trip. Um, you know, I very, it gets very personal. I was too shy to talk. I was round and soft. All the kids would drawl. You got some beady eyes, boy. I mean, all of this, it, it seems almost... Almost. And I know it's not. I know, obviously, it was very personal and connected in its own way. We all think about moments in which we may have, we might have been hurt at one point and how this affects us now. What sort of, you know, uh, estranged personality quirks have, have formed us into the, into the man we are. But it's like, eh, I don't know. I feel like I don't know enough as a listener to, to, really, like, to really buy this 100% at this point in the album. And I hate to, I hate to, because it's, it's a very emotional track, and I'll give it all of that. Um, even some of the things that I, wanted, I should probably mention this too, even musical things feel like they're maybe not quite up to snuff here. The bass, all right, it's great. We get it. The bass has been strong almost throughout the album, but I, and I, I can't get over how independent the bass sounds at times. It's really like on its own, on its own, uh, on its own track. It seems very, um, like it could do whatever it wants. It's mixed very well. Yet at the same time, I feel like this track doesn't really afford the bass, the best bass line. I feel like there's more it could have done, or perhaps it maybe not. Right? Maybe the the track was constraining it in a way. But this it was a, it was a simpler bass line. I love its sound more than I did what it was doing at this moment. I think that for me, 
the reason that I think this song really carries, like, I mean, what you're saying, Steve, is not wrong. Like, I, I don't disagree with your perspective on it. I just feel like it wasn't as much of an issue for me, but I understand what you're saying. I think that, for me, what got me interested was just how sincere it was. And you're right, it was an emotional track. You might not have enough background for it, but I feel like it's very common for someone who's been in love and been hurt to then go inward and reflect. Makes sense. All makes sense. But again, if this was a TV show, I feel like this would be your, your episode filler. You know, okay, all right. No, well, no, no. Don't, don't show me who the character is through, through events, which would be the best way to further your character. But no, let's fill in the gaps by reaching backward. It's not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not, you know, I'm not taking a dump on this track. I really am not. I, I, I like it. I think it's sweet. I just, it's a little bit of a cop-out considering the direction of the story. It's your post-sweeps uh, flashback out, uh, episode. episode. Yeah, where that's, they... that's that's kind of what you're describing. Yeah. Sure, where they were, were reminiscing. You're not, to you're not doing moment. sweeps. We already got sweeps. We got gangway. Why to, don't you to inform your sweeps. audience? And this is this is that that flashback episode. It's almost inevitable because, frankly, this context would have been more appropriate track one, track two. So John is referring to a thing that a lot of sitcoms do where after after Sweeps Week, somewhere around the middle of the season, instead of coming up with a fresh idea of a full shot episode, they'll shoot a few scenes, and those scenes are the characters reminiscing to earlier in the season or earlier seasons. And it's I, done really, later on. I, really, I really dislike the one that does the full-fledged, let's do a montage for 22 and a half minutes. Yes. And, so, and, and I do see that, and I think that Honestly, in, in, in a musical form, it's a little clever, but it's been done in other mediums. I don't know that it's been done that it's, much in music. It's primarily just the content of the song itself, talking about childhood and everything like that. This would have been just more appropriate to, to set up the character very early in the I album. I disagree. Not I, towards the tail end. I think it has an impact here for that post-sweeps idea, and I think that was intentional, and I kind of like it in that placement. All right, let's get to the point where it really is, I mean, pretty on the nose, because I'm not saying this is really that that much of a stretch, but I am saying there is, is a little bit of filler considering, like, linear content here. I'm not saying stories need to be told in that manner, but, you know, it's a little bit of a reach, but let, let's look at specific verses here. It really does connect it in certain ways. What did I want? What did I need? I got three squares a day. I got a bed for sleep. I couldn't shake a deep belief in a pretty girl who would save me. Clearly it's rooted. Of and course it's rooted. Powerful. And it's powerful, of course. Everyone looks for that person. And then, well, maybe in some sense, well, you get that person, but maybe it wasn't everything it was cracked up to be in the first stage of the relationship. It just deteriorates beyond repair. I mean, in almost every case, all right, I guess a lot of our, our expectations and our dreams are shattered. And I really do respect this album for the way it, um, for the way it, it, for the way it brings to light that aspect of the tale. That, I, won't, I won't demean that. I think that's somewhat of a new element. Um, I, 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 I do feel, though, that... I guess in terms of a breakup album, you know, maybe the music should have reflected it a little bit more at this, at this portion. We do get an instrumental, though, halfway through. Maybe this kind of brings it to light a bit. Uh, very soft. It, it, very slow build during this instrumental. Again, it cuts to almost nothing. Slowly crescendos. We get louder. We get, we get these very light keyboards stepping in there. And then finally, the ultimate, which is the brass that, that complements as, uh, as kind of the, the, the climax of it all. But I don't know. Somehow, I feel like the brass wasn't the same here as it was like in, in earlier moments. Say, for instance, that... Uh, um, was that the third track? Yes. Yeah. Third track, doing it by myself. I mean, that whole... Um, 
yeah, that whole like trumpet climax there, that that just did it a little bit better in my opinion. This is not the same type of crescendo. This is not that wave of emotion hitting a top and then moving forward. It, it doesn't crest the same way. Yeah, I got you. It's it's a gentler C that's being that we're working on here. But what I like about this build though is that it does still build pretty well into the outro and the final verse. Interestingly, I thought I'm just gonna say I thought that was uh, track three. I thought that was a um, uh, a gentler um, musical moment at least. So you know maybe. But it had a. It felt like it reached higher points. Yeah. I don't know. It's a combination. This one, it. It did not feel like it culminated quite the same way. You're right. It felt just a little bit safer. That said, though, I think that the also what saved this track, and a lot of tracks in the record, is when we started to have issues, they also didn't go on super long. This album does move at a good clip, even with the smoother... Oh, I'm not going... Stuff. Yeah, there's not even... Like, the worst parts of this album, I'm not going, oh, can we get on? Honestly, everything is we're... very well-timed. Yeah. And, and honestly, looking at the arc... And the theme that's that's developing here that I had seen a bit before, but I'm really getting a sense of, with track nine never coming down, this feel-good kind of song is almost like a Barney Stinson approach to depression. This is a this, pure delusion. Yeah, this yeah. is this is the Barney. That's why I call it the Barney Stinson answer to depression. That a thing should be all rise, and it's this idea that in How I Met Your Mother, he is very all rise, even in his darkest moments. Even in his playlist, they're always <laughs> rising, rising, and that's okay. And so never coming, never come down, never coming down has this Jimmy Buffett kind of feel good, groovy feel. And even though it's a bit predictable. It's still an earworm, and I think it serves its purpose in the structure of the album. I think it fits pretty well. It's nothing we haven't really heard before, but I'm, I can't help but groove along to it. If, you, point, if you, you like Jimmy Buffett. If you like Jimmy Who if doesn't you know, like Jimmy Buffett? Oh, damn, I was going to say that. I think there's a lot of people who don't like Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> Are you one of those people? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, to... I don't listen to albums of Jimmy Buffett, if that's what you're asking. It has, he, it's a very specific purpose, and I know the purpose that it's be, that's, you know, he's applying to here. Um, I think the I don't know. I think the thing that I liked best about this track was the damn trombone. Yeah, actually, it does stand out, and it and it was just it was fun. Pretty it, sure it was a trombone. It had a very very wonky effect on it, and I mean, it, it sounded almost stupid. <laughs> it sounded like the music. I mean, the the instrument itself had just like had a little stupid moment. Um, which again, I understand. It's all very connected. It's all this is the track that is supposed to be just. You know, utter blindness, utterly uh, deluding yourself. And the lyrics support that. The lyrics are absolutely delusional. One of the verses is, open up a box of bees. We can go buzzing rooftops all night long. We're gone and never coming down. Like, it just, or that's the chorus, I think. But that just sounds ridiculous. This is like on the last romp with your girlfriend or something. And it was just like, hey, let's have fun. You want to have fun? Hey, look, let's go to all these fun places. Look how much fun we're having. Look at it. And for all the rise, for all that trying to infuse energy, going, 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 it still has the same nature of what that's like in real life in that it's fairly a static track. It doesn't yeah. it doesn't change. It's just always just... It's build all up, build rise. Up. Exactly. <laughs> because it stays at that idea of just be rising, um, It yeah, it comes off really cliche, but at the same time, it does exactly what it's supposed to do. ABR, always be rising. Everybody knows that, that it's work. time to yeah. disco. Better put the chickens in when the wolves come out. Everybody knows when you climb the rings, you drink with the kings and queens. And it's true, I know, we're never coming down. Away we go, I know, we're never coming down. Segway to track 10. It is just what it is. Yep. It's that crash of realization. 
You're coming um, down off the high. We're going to use a bunch of other metaphors. Realization. Forget. It's like realization was an anvil, like an acme anvil yeah. that just dropped on his head. And this track, this, is all it is. this track had a great There's a bitterness. flow for me, a great flow for me, because yeah. this was a three-part track, an ABC, ABC track, and I love what it is because the melody that's first presented here changes, but it changes in such natural ways that while each section does feel separate and does feel distinct, I can't see them actually having problems. It's not that, well, the first transition's bad, but the second one's good. No, this is just, this just works. Well, this also feels like the pre-finale wrap-up. I mean, considering the structure of the lyrics in this one also, like, one of my favorite lines just seems so out of place, but I really enjoy it, is... I've never had much motion or drank the Kool-Aid potion or dreamed of situations to carry me away. It's just, it's the, he's having fun with it at this point. And I, it, but it is still speaking to a very mundane, I'm just moving on, like, keep moving. Well, this is, a, a lot of the dream is gone. The yeah. dream is dead. This is a lot of the honesty that had honestly been missing from the album itself. Uh, Intentionally, well, there, there no. was it was either depressing or dreams. That's that's what a lot of the content boiled down to. Yes, but some of those dreams were so not subtle. I mean, <laughs> I yeah, don't, I can't. You're right. You're right. I wouldn't use Here? subtle. There wasn't much subtlety on the entire record. Let's be honest. Yes, maybe that's my one problem. I, that's that's the thing I, that was nagging me uh, back in the case of um, of kid dreams, and I think it comes back here. Don't get me wrong. I still think this is this is. It, it's well done. All these tracks are well placed. I, they know what they're doing. I just think that this could have been maybe a little bit more delicate. It just it it slaps you on the face with each and every track. Um, eh, maybe to maybe to a positive end. I don't know yet. I just I just don't know. But it's certainly this track. Uh, this track itself makes makes no attempt at subtlety. I mean, obviously it is just what it is. This is going for pure uh, balls to the wall balls to the wall literal. Yeah. Presidents and thieves on, th- on thrones and in cages shake their fists at God and her persuasion. It's a trick. It is just what it is. Just what it is. I just I like how on the nose it is because that's the point of this. And and it, and that A B C structure keeps it from getting dull because even though we return to those structures a second time, it it still goes A B C A B C and, and C prime. Outro combination, a little bit of A, a little bit of B thrown in there. Mo- the outro C-Prime moves it further just so, a little bit. Yeah, that outro is got to be a third of the track almost, and well, that's- it's so fun, so enjoyable because they're just blending all their different ideas together. That's why I think call- it does a great job of culminating everything. I'd call this more of an A, B, C, cycle back, A, B, C, C prime. We push that further just a little more, and then the last section here. It's just an all-out instrumental. I don't. I wouldn't call it a section of its own. It defines certain elements that were present earlier in the track here, but it it it's almost like the joke of it all. It comes across as like you you were mentioning Matt that it sounds like you're walking along a boardwalk and you well, see carnival a, noises in the background. Yeah, there was a cacophony of sound effects that came towards the end, which kind of gave this idea of almost a. I equate it to walking across, walking through the Jersey Shore boardwalk at night, lamenting, mm-hmm. which I've done, and I, with all the sound effects in the background, but a Aww. little bit at a distance. Why would you taint that wonderful, wonderful place with 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 
bad <laughs> with bad thoughts. Because I brought. I only go there back. when I'm really happy. <laughs> that well, way, I'll never ruin it. Uh huh. But it's yes, one of the I'm a it's, big proponent of the Jersey Shore. Oh, I love it there. I grew up going there all the time. But it's the, not what everyone hears in the rest of the country. It really isn't. It's a well, fun place. But because the, the, of a few idiots who are on TV, they don't. That does not make the entire Jersey Shore. Tangent over. The point is, is that it gives a no, human. It gives a humanness and an intricacy to the track. That kind of roots it in this kind of, even though it's very on the nose, it still gives it a, a very human realness with those sound effects into the outro, and I really like that. And then I really it's, it's enjoy- an existential track, frankly. I mean, this is it. it it's eh. well, even, not- I, I even got to look at another one. I'm not gonna lie, I get strung out about it. I stumble and fall and try to find myself a girl. Some things you can change, and then some things they just persist. It's very matter of fact. That's the best way to describe it, and I yes, like well, its sincerity. That's the concept of existentialism, is yeah. everything is matter of fact. Everything is just what it is, and it's all that it is until you're dead, and that's exactly what it is, too. How, Nothing more. How joyous. Yes. Uh, thank you. I'm going to be cutting myself later. That's um, not funny. <laughs> in the next song, though, you got to remember, we're going to get the cliche piano outro. It's not completely cliche, though. Actually, it's not cliche at all, because the song Farewell, track 11, starts off with that, yeah, guy alone playing a piano. Sweet vocals. Yeah, it starts adding in a little bit of strings, but they decide to do something, and the only way I could phrase it is, they give the track gravity. It has an airiness and a vastness, I think, just in how... How they um, they present the track after that sweet piano vocal intro, they build it out, they flush it out a bit. It's still nothing super unbelievable that we've never heard before, but it gives it more character. And I think that's something that the tracks have not lacked up to this point is character. And I really enjoy where this wrap up goes because it is a very it, it's a much better conclusion than the intro was an intro, I believe. As far as the verses go. You know, same deal. Broken record. McCartney-esque songwriting. <laughs> a wish that will never come true. Um, with all the light, bright piano accompaniments to, to support that, as McCartney would do. Um, but then, you know, it yields to the chorus. That simple goodbye. And holds that on this prolonged falsetto. Ah, goodbye. Farewell. Tonight. So, of course, the aforementioned gravity that you mentioned. I mean, it... It's enhanced, I think, by this overt reverb that is present throughout this entire chorus section. And it has the same quality, again, like one of my favorite tracks in this album, which was track three, in that big climax, uh, in which, you know, everything feels very full. Everything, it amounts to the full, like, F, F, F major seven, you know, back, back in the previous track, not this particular. But, um, you know, and it held the note. Again, that was just a single note held. A lot of times that is uh, that is really what is going to defy your ultimate climax is your culminating points is when you feel confident enough in like a single line and a single chord with which to drag it out. So yeah, it's pretty appropriate for a final track and I think that's really all, that's that's the gravity I felt from it. It, it avoided it being a very, very cheesy piano outro as we've gotten many of. Um, and yeah, and then of course the falsetto itself. I think again the vocal quality. We've been very we've been very light. I think on that the duration of this record, but it, it's very it's very strong. It's been strong from the beginning. I'm not sure it re- reached any any real like virtuosic heights, but at the same time I, it, it doesn't it doesn't need to. It's it's it, stuck in 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 the in the rut almost that is this theme and that the music supports. So everything is everything is jiving, even though it it might not leap out as as I've cited. 
Well, I think it also comes from just this kind of sound that a lot of the uh, Guster's contemporaries have really done too. I mean, honestly, for me, it reminds me of the final track on Ben Fold 5's newest record because that also was a very somber farewell to love kind of song. And I think that it, it really emulates that. And yes, it can be considered a little cliche sometimes, but I think it really is a good wrap up as far as culminating for an album. I mean, on uh, The Sound of the Life of the Mind, Thank You for Breaking My Heart is also a very sincere, emotional piano track. That one's more or less straight up piano and vocals, but they both have the same emotional, emotional weight for the end of an album. Well, in any other context, you know, uh, thank you for breaking. Was it thank you for breaking my heart? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would that would probably be your your cliched piano outro if it wasn't on an album by a piano rock guy. Yeah. Because what else do you want? <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what people are going to be picking up that album for. So obviously you can't go the cliche in that route. Well, so no, it's just, also yeah. in this case, piano is not an unheard of instrument. It wasn't present in every single one of these songs, but frankly, they integrated it well without it being a primary focus in the album. And I think that's actually one of the biggest draws of the album itself. There's a lot of integration, but no real cliches with all of their choices of layers, with all of the choices of instrumentation that they're putting here. That's too nice, too perfect, too clean cut. <laughs> everything is very well meshed together. Everything is stitched. It's it's. There's no real oddballs in a lot of the choices, except for really... And I guess this is where I'm going to go into my wrap-up of unless somebody has something to add. Go for it. The only thing that I would say was uh, that uh, chorus in Kid Dreams. That was the one time where I was saying, eh, that, that major choice, that wasn't really good enough for it. Or that, that, that was a little bit of direction that kind of hurt it for me or anything like that. Whatever. But for all the integration, for all the, the nice experimentation, without really going into it again, it doesn't do anything that would be new it's not pushing boundaries so while we have a really really good album here something that as a unit and looking back on it i think does work very well from first to last there's nothing new both the 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 theme itself is is speaking something that we've probably reviewed what half a dozen times in the last 20 episodes i mean it's it's a pretty Solid breakup break break There you go. It's got a lot of the tropes are now that we can really go into with a breakup album. The uh, self reaffirming, nothing like that. It doesn't really reach any major like emotional heights or lows. There's no super depressing part. There's no super energized. There's no real angry part. It stays very even keel. Now that just marries it to the actual arc of the music and the musical sounds itself. It is a very even even keel music um which means that it's very accessible and in that framework in the more pop orientation um than i was really expecting it it does an amazing job of just experimenting enough with different ideas from different eras and different types of genres but it's just experimenting it's not really going full force and, and coming up with that new that 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 new that I could almost see here. There's certain parts like with expectation, simple machine, and doing it myself, uh, doing it by myself, that it, it it's like they were on the cusp of coming up with just a great, grand new idea, but they didn't quite meet it, didn't quite reach it, 
and I don't think they were really reaching for it. They weren't. I can trying hear to be you outlandish. going in circles right now. I know it's it's hard because I enjoy the album. I think it's a great, easy listening to album, but I don't think it's really going to leave a mark. And for that, I'm putting it three seven five. It's a solid, solid piece, but it's just it's not reaching heights. Yeah. Okay. Um. Everything John said. I'll start with that. <laughs> but I mean, even what he said has been said over the course of this review. And you know, well, a lot of times our, our wrap-ups can be a little bit apparent or repetitive in terms of what we've described as we go as we go through it. Uh, this comes down to just something else for me, and I think that is the fact that, considering the breakup album that he chose, which is clearly the theme, couldn't be any more apparent. Um, if they tried, we do encounter this a lot. It'll be, it'll always be there. Everyone is going to want to try to convey their, 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 um, their innermost emotions, especially in the wake of something, something detrimental, and namely breakup albums. One of uh, breakups are, are are the number one thing I think that leads us to this type of album. Uh, but it comes down to the way, the manner in which you are going to explain that such thing. After all, what do people pick up these albums for? I mean, I can think of several Relatability. times. Relatability. See, I don't know if that's it. Hmm. Relatability is, 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 is great, but that's not, that's not everything. That's not everything when it comes to music. I have, you know, I've been there. I've been there when I was in high school. I'll pick up an album. I'll relate. I'll be like, yeah, yeah, this really speaks to me, man. But if it's just for that, I mean, even if it is just for that condensed moment, which perhaps is all the album is for, is for, is for getting people, you know, when they're, when they're perhaps on their knees or maybe if it's just any time if you want to just sympathize with 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 the musician but i believe there's got to be that other element and that's where you bring back all the stuff that john said it's just like i i want either the interesting aspect of the human condition or perhaps something musically that reflects something mundane that we all feel in a more unique way and i feel like those are the two things that i are just are just blaringly lack uh um, left out of this album. I just, I like it for all the reasons we mentioned. Unfortunately, unfortunately, that's it. It's a great driving album. I already said that from the get-go. I like several tracks in this, just in terms from of grooving along to it. But there are just not those chilling moments. Maybe a couple. They did get close, and John mentioned that too. You know, moments where they feel like they are on the cusp of something big. But I just, they never really go there. This is a static album for a static story that everyone feels, and they know everyone feels it that's powerful in its way it's just it's tough it, it's it's tough to rate that on on a really really high scale you know give me something else i i, I can't be any more clear than that i i guess i have to go the same way as john 375 there's nothing wrong about it but you know it's a give it the courtesy better than average because there's no holes um in fear of repeating myself i don't really have much else to say um i feel like I might have connected a little more only, well, A, because I have, obviously, a connection to the band. I'm a fan. I've been a fan since the late 90s, before the early I'm, aughts. I'm going to say I'm a fan, too, and I'm probably going to listen to this album a bit, quite a bit more than my average lower Me, too. Albums. I was actually ready to rate huh. this a four. I think the only reason is just because, you know, the story seemed a little bit a little bit out of, out of, out of at a loss for me. I just, I didn't get that extra thing, that extra yeah. thing that made me think. Nothing about this album made me think, and maybe that's even more what it is. Um, I just sympathized, which is important. But 
that said, I do agree that, you know, it's not it's not anything I haven't heard before. For Guster, that's not a bad thing, because I love a lot of their work, and this is reminiscent of a lot of their work. Um, and it's a great... They're a great live band, and music like this is great to see live, and I think that's where their strength is. It's why they've released, like, five live records. Um, so... For me, I think simply I connected very emotionally with it, and I get, I get the cliche moments, even though they're cliche moments, and John and Steve tend to be a little harsher on those cliche moments than I am, I guess because I'm a sucker for them, and that's fine. I don't feel that there's anything wrong with that. But that said, I connected emotionally with last week's album, and there were intricate, unique, original moments. So I can't rate it higher than Crush was because of that. Um, but that said, I want to rate it a little higher than a, than a 375, just because I still think it got, it's close to a 4 for me. It really is. I think all those reasons we cited are why it falls short of a 4, but I don't feel it falls as short because I was way more on board than you guys were, which there's nothing wrong with not being. Um, so for me, it's a, let's be obtuse, uh, a 3.85. It's just a little bit of below a 3.9 because it's not right under that four step because there are things that are still missing. Um, but that said, I still, like you guys said, I love it. I enjoyed it. In fact, I thought it was a lot slower on my first listen than I did after subsequent listens. There's a lot more energy there. It's just not high energy, but there's energy there. Yeah, it's right under the surface. So for me, it's a solid 3.85. Solid. Solid. Round, one might say. A solid... Um, 3.1415, yada, yada, yada. I am not quoting pie here. <laughs> it's finite. Um, from here, I'll take us into our topic because I came up with it. Um, and it, it's a topic that lends a lot of discussion. And it, really at the base, it's because the, the day before we're recording this, the Grammys had happened. I wanted to pose the question, are award shows relevant? No, they're not. Good night, everybody. See you later. No, I'm kidding. No, there's there are arguments for and against this, and it's a pretty. I mean, even the critics of the there's critics of the shows themselves to say, well, why would do we, do we even need these shows? I Number think eighty percent of the attendance of the said award shows are probably critics of it. Like most of the people who arrive are just like, eh, it's a it's a courtesy thing that we do for the public, and I don't know if there is really any any real like pivotal. This is the moment. This is the thing that we've achieved that we've been working toward our entire lives. I don't think award shows really represent that anymore. Maybe, maybe, distantly, once upon a time. But I think for most audiences, I mean, rather, for most artists, a lot of it has always been, you know, the release of your album, first and foremost. When you get that done, well, that's great. And uh, that's an accomplishment unto itself. Secondly is, of course, sales, fan feedback, but to be honored by the community that in some sense was formed by the community itself, I don't know. I think it's different, like, at least for movies, um, awards, shows, like the Screen Actors Guild Awards, stuff like that. It's of your peers, and you're judged by your peers, so in sure. those moments, it means more. But with the Grammys, it's a bunch of stuffy suits in a room deciding what's good music. And there have been flaws in that before, but I think also my biggest problem with the Grammys is something that <laughs> The Simpsons cited ages ago and it's the episode where homer was in the barbershop quartet what was the name of their barbershop quartet do you remember 
Well, I remember the name of the barbershop quartet was the B Sharps. The B Sharps, but the and episode so escapes me. The, there's a, a Grammy reference where, like, I think one of them wins a Grammy. It's like, oh, another Grammy, and throws it into the garbage or whatever. And someone digs through the garbage and finds it. And says, oh, a Grammy! Oh, it's just a Grammy. And throws it away. Like, I think the biggest problem with award shows on a whole is I just remembered another Simpsons reference of the same effect when Elton John just flat out says, "Oh, here, have a Grammy." Yeah. As if they're just, you know, worthless, like chanting out chump change. And, and I don't well, it's Elton John. He's got a lot Also, of he's got yeah. a lot. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah that's true. That's stare. more of the joke. Yes. Evenly. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I mean, yes, I could simply say, do award shows matter? No. But that's not a discussion, and we should have some discussion. But I think that, truthfully, the type well, of the award show matters, but it also is the content of, of what's being awarded. I feel like... A lot online awards have more weight than TV award show like show awards that are presented online have more weight than say televised award shows because there's a tighter knit nichier community on the internet whereas you know everything on TV that's televised is more kind of overproduced kind well, okay. of no, 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 spectacle no. here's might be something and this is kind of snobbish but like the only people that get invited to something like the Grammys are the guys that have sold 100,000 records or something like that. Those are the sort of numbers you need in order to be considered the, a contender. The prereqs. Yeah. <laughs> a con- if you want to be up for best rock album, best alternative, you have to have sales before people start even noticing you. Fair enough. That's that's one aspect that kind of hurts it because, well, some guys really do great music and we reviewed them and they're kind of unknown. True. And then there's things where you see in Best Alternative this year, we had St. Vincent, which we reviewed. This is All, Your, All Yours, Alt-J, which we reviewed. Um, Lazaretto, Jack White, which we, we reviewed. Which reviewed. <laughs> and then Melophobia, Cage the Elephant, an album I really love, just didn't want to bring on the show because we already did Cage. And then Arcade Files Reflector. Reflector? Yeah, I guess yeah. that's how you pronounce Arcade it. Arcade Fires Reflector. I yeah. would, I, yeah, sure, the Pantheon of Alternative, sure, but honestly, I don't see how some of these albums start getting compared to one another if you're talking as a genre. That's where things start breaking down for me. Well, I, When they I do have best a... rock, best metal, or something like that, you kind of go, well, that's rock and that's rock sure but it's apples and oranges sure they're both fruit but it's really they're they're not the same sort of beast in this case well i have a series of pent-up responses here uh first relating to what you said first but you, you line through all the albums like we reviewed we reviewed that we reviewed that and going back to what matt said you know you mentioned that the internet has a community of its own which in your opinion maybe should supersede all this stuff uh i don't know if disclaimer well, all right no no you're right but but I, I do have a disclaimer along those lines, and of course, it's not to imply that what we're doing here is is somehow ah oh, superior to what is oh, being no, done on the Grammys. No. This is not. I I think there is a lot to be said for people who are in the industry, and also what you said, your peers judging you. That's important, um, especially as long as your peers are are renowned in in much the same way, and they've got the sales to show for it. All right, that's great. It's kind of. There is the the accusation that it's some sort of you know like fraternity. Uh, fraternity level um award boasting kind of thing I mean, like mm-hmm. well, all people who are kind of in the same boat and hanging out just sort of like circling each other and giving each other various uh kind of like a circle jerk of awards it's it's yeah. it's, it's that's that one accusation um but there's also merit to it there's merit because they're all they're 
they're all established. And I think deep down they really do want to, to, to afford opportunities for people who perhaps are not there yet but are on their way. Um, which is why, you know, you dip over to the alternative to just, like, open the door to the alternative scene. With St. Vincent comes a lot of other related bands, for instance. Just by bringing her into the ballgame, you're, you're changing music, in a sense. You're changing what, what the nation's tastes are. So, that's a defense. Um, and then, of course, to perhaps address the internet thing and what we do, and, you know, I assume what you were referring to were things like, you know, Pitchfork, Metacritic, that sort of thing, correct? Yeah. The internet community, because it is the world coming together to say, well, this is what we think. This is what the people who ultimately matter, because we're buying your your material, we're, we're making your sales, we're, we're helping you onto those charts. That That's important, too. Um, it's important just to see it. Just kind of like, I'm sure they follow, I'm sure artists kind of follow these things in order to kind of gauge how well they're doing in the internet community. But, again, it's also kind of who you know sometimes. I think that my biggest problem... The internet can be... i just afford that. The internet can be a very loud, like, like sometimes can, unfeeling place. Yes, it can be white noise as well. I think my what I was going for with the internet stuff is... I know myself personally, I listen to a lot more indie artists than I listen to a lot more mainstream artists, especially these days with my obsession with nerdcore and a lot of indie rock and indie folk. That said, we've cited specific artists that we've met, that we've heard their stuff, that we'd say better than tons of stuff in the mainstream. I mean, Steve, for, and I will continue to bring this up because it's still, I think, one of the greatest compliments I've heard Steve ever give, that he cited specifically that he felt Schaefer the Dark Lord's Sixth Passenger was better than the Beastie Boys record we listened to. Right. A, rel- a, re- a relatively, or at least comparatively, unknown, uh, unknown local um, local artist compared to the Beastie Boys, which need, need not ex- be explained. Right. And I think that that kind of impact is very true. I mean, when we talked about Lewis Logic's record or even Circadian Clock's stuff, like they put out music that would eclipse some of the stuff that won awards last, uh, last night. And I say last night because we're recording on Monday. The illusion is broken. You know, it just it it, it don't date the content. <laughs> it's it, I date the content. It's just I feel like that's my biggest hang up with it is, you know, while look, you guys didn't get as much out of Beck's morning phase than I did. It winning album of the year is a little perplexing, but still I thought he's a quality musician who's been doing work for a long time. So even if morning phase may not have been deserving of it, Beck certainly is. I well, feel like Beck certainly is. You know what? Is. What also what also bothers me is, it's not just, yeah, Beck's morning phase one. It's that you got Sam Smith in the Lonely Hour. Honestly, I think that was probably a better record. Uh, when you get down to the bare bones of it, you have Beyonce's Beyonce in the right. same category. You got Girl by Pharrell Williams, which I don't even understand why is in that category. I wouldn't even have considered it a top five of mainstream music this past year. And you got X by Ed Sheeran. That is the only album I really don't know. All right, here's a question, Mark. When you line up the very brief selection that is the final nominees for each category, and then you make your decision and say, all right, that one wins amongst five, six choices, correct? Yeah. Does that mean anything in the end? Because no. everywhere, in every chart I've ever seen, always includes the nominations. The nominations are the winners, and who the hell cares oh, yeah. who's at the top of the five? Because it gets your stuff out there, and all the nominees yeah. perform is there their any, stuff. And the, the question ultimately, is there any better, is, is there any benefit from having the number one out of the top six? 
You can put a little sticker on your album that says award-winning. Gold Grammy star. Award Gold winning. star. Gra so Grammy in other words, award. all right, platinum records, millions of dollars, but what counts in the end is that little gold sticker well, on your well, forehead. That's, that's the whole thing. You could do the same thing with Grammy nominee or yeah, yeah, like that. Of Academy yeah, Accord yeah, yeah. nominee. Okay, for the sake of and argument, you know what, we're frankly, all talking about nominees because those are the winners and as it matters. Yeah, and it's, it's, a, it's to some extent a nod to... Uh, thousands of people, thousands of albums, boil it down to, well, these were the top five, top six in this category. But you know what? It's a double-edged sword. It's kind of mean also to get, and I know a lot of people over the years have been a, a nominated, 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 blah, 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 blah. never win. Mm -hmm. And you always get beat. And you, there's there's a couple of jokes, so this guy's going to nominate Leo, for the longest time, always nominated, never won anything. Well, that's like a joke, and maybe they're comparable. Yeah. Maybe they're not of, uh, say, Rush being passed up for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for year after yeah, year. Until they finally got it recently, but, you know. But it's... Same concept. Why would you narrow it down beforehand so dramatically and to really <coughs> just lay the cards on the table like that? And why would you put... I, I don't understand the process they use for the nominees, that, that, and that kind of bothers me. I don't want to focus too much on bashing Can the we... idea of narrowing this stuff down, because we do the same thing. We give oh, yeah. out our own awards. What I want to focus on, I think, is the reason why these things still exist, even though we believe them to be archaic, is ratings. When you have current artists performing their hits on a show and then awarding those artists, that's what gets eyeballs. Also, the BS that Kanye West does every so often. We'll oh, get, God. We'll get ratings. And I'm Again. Not, I don't want to focus on that. But Kanye hates stuff to say when Beck won. I don't care. I hate Kanye. I think that people who give excuses for him because what he's doing is just free speech is baloney. When you're among artists, and I learned this recently. You I, curb your mouth when you reach that that peak. Well, I think, I think, it's I think that's importantly, the big, uh, you know what? I was taught a lesson recently by an artist at a live show where I was bashing on someone who I thought was truly terrible. The reality is, even though I thought he was truly terrible, he's still getting up there and doing it. So shut your mouth. True. That's the end point. Like, look, love or hate Nickelback, think their songs sound the same. With all of the ire that they get, he still goes on tour. They still get up and perform their music. They still have fans. And they still paid money. People, Other people so, still think they're better. I don't like them, and I think they stink. But you know what? I, you have to ultimately give credit where credit's due. If you have the balls to get up every day, write music, and do your own thing, leave that level of respect. You don't like it? Keep your mouth shut. I mean, yes, we're... we're ultimately reviewing stuff here but we try to very much well, that, lightly avoid bashing anything that's why i thought it relevant to include the disclaimer which is the obvious comparison of what we're doing compared to what the grammys is all of it is just playing critic playing yeah. critic in some way and of course that's more of a gala type type uh event you know where where people are are, are a little bit drunk and woozy by the time they're even like yeah you won how about that but like and what we do is a little more, we like to think it's a little bit more academic. What we're sitting down, we're looking at all the different elements, which, I, you know, I can't believe that the final uh, the final roundup, when, of course, they're looking at this this final six and saying, oh, that one, you know, it's, it's a vote in a committee, essentially. Yeah. That's all it is. It's, 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 it's not on individual, uh, individual point, individual, uh, um, the merit of each track, the merit of each... Uh, of his, their discography, I just don't think that's that, that's relevant. I mean, that, it brings us back to, like, you know, why we do this, of course, and, you know, I don't want to go through this spiel again, but, of course, I do like addressing these things in a fairly, uh, you know, level, um, objective setting. Uh, academic. Academic. Like, 
it's it's important, I think, just in terms of a learning process. It's not really to like you know point your finger at a said artist and say, oh well, how how how. How dare they release this to the public? You know, they're better than this. Yes, occasionally we've gotten a little heated when we do know that certain artists are better than what they've released, but it's not really for that. It's 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 for it's it's for a, a sort of mass awareness and also to encourage. In at the end of the day, it doesn't even our opinions don't really matter. It's to encourage a kind of mass awareness of being critical, of of being being a I think a level headed critic, period. But I think the gra the Grammys just they, they, they go about it in a way that, that bothers me. It's mostly, I think, when it really comes down to it, forgetting the fact that they try to narrow it down and kind of try to pigeonhole people too much, it's just the fact that they do so much emphasis on genre when they're doing these awards, on towing a specific idea of being alternative or country. Eh, Honestly, we do it. We do it. Yeah, again. but when we do our reviews, we're we're a lot more like the way the movies do it, and specifically in the technical awards, when they the start areas doing, of yeah no, the area the, the specific areas of expertise. If you want to award somebody, you know, best album of the year, be less about it was just great or best song of the year get into the reasoning why defend but yourself not, but that's not what that's about the grammys is about ratings and headlines and it works and that's why they keep doing it i think that the important thing to cite here is that they're working in an archaic system that we barely can work in and that's the genre system is archaic in its current form there there's well that's why we don't work in that system well, well, when it gets right down to it we talk about theme we we award merits on singular moments we award merits on full movements transitions things like that it's 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 the it's best punk best alternative that 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 starts bothering me but but the public eye often tends to generalize and it's a fault but that's what happens and i think that's what really holds these shows back but because of jackasses like kanye and what they wear and how they look all of those elements too is why it becomes an event why it becomes a spectacle and why it still happens no matter how archaic this voting or setup system sounds or looks or works it'll keep to happening as long as there's ratings to be had well spectacle is the number one word and that's essentially what it comes down to spectacles are always really just i think sometimes for the sake of it yeah and I Which, think, you know, I don't know. Again, it could be argued, and this is why I really do want to draw the very, very fine line between what they do, what we do, and, and et cetera. Yes, of course, perhaps we do this for the sake of it, but I do like to think that, you know, there's some kind of... It, I think both, actually. In, in both instances, you do end up changing the direction of public taste. Well, I think and Even if that's just in a distant sense. But there are definitely people who follow, you know, artists who just arrived in the Grammys. They're there in the nominations, and they want to... Uh, They'll they'll veer their taste because of that. The ultimate point, though, I think that we're getting at is where there is a similarity between us and the Grammys and any award show. It continues the conversation, and I think ultimately yes. that should be the goal. Yeah, because I, I wouldn't agree. I wouldn't actually say that our opinions are more important than the guys that actually seem to run the musical industry. Um, though I'd like to feel mine is. Uh, it's just having a point of view then being able to both argue and defend it and yep. while in the in the actual grammys themselves they don't really promote that in the boards and everything and the after action reports and all the newspaper articles frankly it does promote a lot of talk about who Music. did what and for for every 
for every five fashion critiques, there's actual legitimate discussion going on. And for that, I thank them. I mean, it still does something for the musical community as a whole. So I guess... Well, ironically enough, while we do this, you know, in some ways to, to prove that everyone's opinion matters out there and everyone should get in on the discussion, you know, th- there's also the existence of that whole trolling community where they're just going to, to lash out at something just because they have uh, a surge of anger at that moment and they want to sort of take something down and trash something, leave leave fire in their wake. A lot of people want to do that, but it could be argued, and this is the irony, is that uh, is that award shows are too nice. They are too, <laughs> too, perhaps a little bit too, you know, self-celebratory. I guess, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's funny. We started out saying, are these, are award shows archaic and unnecessary? I guess the answer isn't no. The answer is maybe. There are, I think it's more multifaceted than we gave it credit for. But I think ultimately, in its current structure... It they have still us talking. Has, it has a lot of faults. It, yeah, and it is, I guess, the answer is yes, it is archaic and it's not really necessary. But on the same side, like, well, they they, they do something. They're and not they're not perfect, neither are we. I'm yeah. not going to say... It, it, uh, they're more... In some ways, for the last time, the premise of this entire thing is not to just compare us to the Grammys. Yeah, I know we're not, but and yet we keep bringing <laughs> it's it hard. up. Well, you know, we, we do the same sort of job, just on a much nat- more micro scale. It's the nature of of, of criticism, I guess. Yeah, but yeah. imagine if that gala was three guys in a room talking. I mean, it wouldn't get as much news, that's for sure. True, but Kanye might still say that he had the best. You know, album he would of totally show up, stand in front of the mic, and just go, "My baby Beyonce, she had the best album of the year." I don't know. Charlie Rose is just a guy with a black background, just talking to a single person, and he's pretty popular. Wow. Or Lipton. I All mean, right. Lipton does a hell of a job. I'm done. That's true. Yeah, we'll same I love him. Same yeah, deal. he's we'll again he's black awesome. background. I love that. I know. It's very, it's very suit, tasteful. Suit tie. There is somebody else there. It's like focus on the two people. Love it. Maybe between the ferns. I like that one too. So uh, that's I, our, I find that pretentious, actually. So that's our Grammy supposed to. conversation for this week. Take it or leave it. It's yours. Um, that felt productive. Let's uh, head into our uh, next fan uh, submission of the week. That's right. We're trying to stay away from spam mail. For those who have been listening since the beginning of the year, we have tried to avoid our previous tradition of citing the spam mail that we get, which is most numerous. And we've had a steady influx of those since the beginning. Always good for a laugh. But since the beginning of the year, we've had quite a bit of luck in actual fan mail territory. Some of them from our uh, dedicated fans out there in various parts of the country, um, namely Jose, namely Mark. We'll throw them out there. But also some who've, who've sent out uh, uh, just individual fan recommend- recommendations, apart from just uh, fan mail, but straight up recommendations. This one is from Kristen, who actually has given a... Uh, fan recommendation before that was back in episode 98 uh saliva's album rise up well this time she's got a different one to lay on us her message i have an album suggestion for you guys american beauty american psycho by fallout boy i'm curious to see what you all think about it see it's a straight up you know no fan mail just the straight up recommendation this will be interesting because fallout boy tends to be one of those controversial bands because of the fact that they managed to capture a really really large audience and yet at the same time almost immediately lot, yeah. oh yes they've changed their sound but almost immediately after it there seemed to be this divergence in the community where there are people who stuck by fanboy all the way to the end and then some people who just flat out said this is what i don't like about indie or rather indie pop yeah and the title, American Beauty, American Psycho, sounds like an amazing smash-up of two just phenomenal movies. Yeah, it was interesting. It was a strip slash between them. Um, 
So we'll probably get to this fan recommendation closer towards the end of March, early April. We'll try and work it in sooner, but we have a lot of guests coming up and, and unique and interesting content. Speaking of unique and interesting content, Steve, why don't you wrap us up by telling us who what we're doing next week? Yes, now is for our actual, this is a not a fan recommendation, but a guest recommendation, as we will be having the first appearance of our writer and um, additional member to the Crash Chords team, Tony Catalano, on next week. Uh, he'll be making the trip out here from Long Island before he sadly leaves us off for Milwaukee. Um, well, he, living will, us physically, but he'll still be writing yes, Well, in the, in the internet world, it doesn't really matter. That's yes. true. But yes, we will have him here in person for once. And he has a recommendation, of course, uh, as the guest always does. You ready? Sure. You ready? Sure. No, not yet. Okay, ready. Flying Lotus. Oh, oh no. <laughs> album is called You're Dead. I know that's supposed oh, to be a great album. A little backstory here. Uh, oh, no. We've brought this up so many times on the podcast. He's been to a Flying Lotus concert. And he knows them. He knows what they've done. And he went through our backlog. He, he knows what they did. He got familiarized with what we do. And he, sure enough, he listened to episode 19, uh, Until the Quiet Comes by Flying Lotus, which with- featured Nelson Lugo. And the only episode to date in which John... Here was absent. I was so, so happy. I was absent for that episode. That's right. Well, he was because he, he listened to it anyway. Even as though we it didn't said, really it was before sure we let the artist, uh, before the, we let the guests pick their album. So Nelson just tried to jump on board with what we had already chosen. Yep. So he just sat down in the room and listened to this album that barely me and Matt had even known. I, I just picked it because I thought like, all right, this could be interesting. I had heard something good in the past by Flying Lotus and I wanted to hear it on an album scale. Needless to say, between the three of us, we it was not our most raving review. It really was not. Um, but I also say early days, considering we're having this whole uh, rant about being critical and yeah. being careful about criticism, I, I'd argue that that being such an early episode, we didn't really refine the system yet. Not that we've refined the system now, but it's a ever-growing, asymptotically improving uh, process. So hopefully this next one, with the aid of our very insightful writer, Tony Catalano, this will be a interesting review, to say the least. Flying Lotus, you're dead. And on that note, we will wrap up this show with that bombshell that makes me very upset. Bombshell? <laughs> uh, you know, see, I purposely waited for your reaction. I'm sure you did. I had fun with that. Yeah, lucky you. Um, remember, kitties, keep uh, keep in touch with us and keep those submissions, comments, criticisms, and all coming. And remember, music is life. And, and life, life is good. If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.